Alrighty. Here we go. Good day. Hello. Good evening. Good morning. What's going on? <laughs> Thank you all for coming by for another Dungeons & Dragons Merge Worlds story evening. I look forward to this all week, and I'm excited to step into the next chapter of our characters' lives. Uh, last week, we came to the end of what was the current story series, um, which was, of course, Artemis's quest to aid Draven, and along with Dandy and Michael, and then uh, Mercy and Darsh's adventure in Oromon to save Tobias. Um, at the end of last week's episode, I read just a small snippet of the intro of where we're starting today. Uh, it was just a little bit of reading that I'd put together, but uh, to remind everybody, I'm not going to reread it all, but I'm going to give uh, a couple little uh, reminders of important things. Uh, the big one is that uh, Mercy is uh, raising horses now. It doesn't maybe not seem important, but it will be later. Uh, she's actually uh, breeding them and buying good stock and having uh, her own selection of good um, horses was something important for her, uh, military-wise and just personal thing. A horse is part of Mercy's personal sigil. I have to try and find that. I have that written down somewhere, but the characters, or the, uh, the, the people who played the characters, kind of designed their... Uh, their own sigils at one point or another. And then together we were working on one for Serenity, but we never got it done. So uh, I'm going to talk to Shadow because I think I'd like to go ahead and get the uh, official Sh uh, Serenity kind of worked out so I have one. Um, Dandy and Michael had just returned from a visit to a city a distance to the northwest named Kendertown, which is a Kender city, uh, which are not common. Um, but even Kender eventually will reach an age where the wanderlust starts to fade and they decide to settle down. Or if a Kender gets pregnant, they'll usually return to the city to have the child stay for years until either the child is old enough to stay with another or to travel with them. Um, while, they, while they were off there doing that, we decided, or we figured out that this where we are right now um, is well over a year since the last adventure ended. So just to kind of... Uh, give an idea on uh, what what the timeline looks like. When these characters first started um, all of this adventure, Merge Worlds happened and such, most of them were in their late teens to early 20s. Across these adventures at this point, we are now, most of them are mid to late 20s. So they're definitely getting older. Uh, well, I mean, let me rephrase that. For everybody except the elf, right? <laughs> for uh, for Artemis, she's much older than that. But again, just to give you an idea of, of how much time is passing, we've uh, we've passed at least five to six years across all of this. So there's that. Um, so this is about a good year, year, year and a half. So at this point... Artemis has given birth to her son, Seraph, um, whose father was Draven before he passed. And uh, if all goes <laughs> as planned, uh, he will be the last of that line, uh, which means that he is destined, or it has been foretold through prophecy, uh, 
that he will be a great king. And so um, the pregnancy and the birth itself uh, wasn't horrendously bad. There were no major medical issues other than it took a lot out of Artemis. It was a, she very much strained uh, and was bed rest for majority of it was very weak, but by the point we're at now, she's regained most of that strength. It's been at least six months since the baby's been born, six to eight months. Still a baby, but uh, Seraph uh, is average-sized. Skin is a little bit paler than the average elf, a little bit more like his father, and uh, his hair that is growing out now is clearly white like his father's. There's no color to it at all. Uh, Artemis is blonde hair with a little white streak that was caused by her... Uh, Temporary connection to one of the uh, stones in the earlier adventure. Uh, but the hair is definitely much like your father's. So, Serenity is continuing to grow in leaps and bounds. Um, it is, at this point, more than just a town. It is becoming a city. Um, you know, the they had hired, if you will, um, construction companies basically from Paxiwal who have been working here in Serenity nonstop for a couple of years at this point. Um, and as one project is you know, getting close to ending, Mercy is working with their leaders and hiring them to build additional things. Um, we're at the point now where with enough homes and a second inn has popped up, several shops, businesses, as well as her having to build things like garrisons, and things of that nature, um, that now they've started tearing up the ground and they're in the process of installing uh, actual sewage. There was already a little bit of stuff they put there, but the city grew much faster than they expected. So proper sewers are being built, at least in the primary areas around Serenity Lake, to make sure that you know none of it flows into the lake, because nobody wants poopy lakes, right? Um, so there's that. Um, let's see what else. Uh, in the last adventure, before everything had kind of happened, uh, Mercy was living in a small home while uh, Serenity Keep was being built. Serenity Keep is done at this point, other than some basic decoration and upkeeping. Um, she is now living in the keep, as well as there's a room there for each of her knights. <clears throat> Although the knights themselves very often are away from Serenity on specific jobs and such. Uh, Cole says, nice t-shirt. Thank you very much. Yes, this was the t-shirt I got for this year for uh, Extra Life. And I hadn't worn it in a little while, and I was kind of excited to put that on today. I thought it'd be nice. So we're getting near the end of the year. Uh, support the charity, of course. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so there, we're at that point. Um, we got a little bit to talk about her nights and such. And there's As this is the beginning of the next grand section or grand adventure... Uh, there's a little bit of setup and information that I have to kind of give you guys first to kind of set the mood, if you will. But I do want to thank you all for coming by and giving me a chance to tell my story. Uh, I always like to remind you that this is probably my favorite thing I get to do, uh, and I appreciate that you guys give me that opportunity. So thank you very much. Um, also, we've had some new people subscribe to the podcast version of this on Spotify and iTunes, which is awesome. It's always awesome to see that number going up there and more people getting invested in learning about the story. Uh, so thank you for any of you who did that. Uh, play, heal game, or play games, heal kids. Yeah, yeah, which is the motto of Extra Life Charity. Play games, heal kids. All right. So we're going to get into the story. 
as we do, some of you may remember that Mercy's Knights is what they're referred to as. They're the people that she has in charge. These are people who <clears throat> have proven themselves and uh, are kind of like her right hand. In many ways, I view their setup a lot like the um, Clive Owen version of King Arthur, where he's got his friends and each one has their own kind of specialty and skill. That's very much what um, <clears throat> Mercy's setup was like by accident. And uh, I started setting it up and then I saw that movie. I'm like, well, that's exactly what I'm doing. Um, so there's Lars and Wade, the two brothers that were rangers that they learned very early on, uh, or they met very early on in Serenity. Uh, Seamus, who's uh, the really big dude. He's your Little John kind of character. Uh, and of course, there is um, Quan and Ulrich, who are probably the most common ones we talk about the most. Um, so, at the point we're at now, Mercy has two new knights that she's taken on over the last year. These are people that there was, her and I had discussed it, the, the young lady who played the character, and I wanted to have two more. Um, and we felt that it would be cool that that popped up during the time off, so they're already set up and invested in Serenity. Um, and so those are the next two specific knights, which rounds them out to seven, I believe. Uh, give me one second, let me count for sure. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yes, seven. In theory. <laughs> so, uh, we're going to introduce you to them first. Um, I don't have actors for these characters, but I do have miniatures that I have painted. So we're going to go ahead and show you those first. First is Seth Kumal. Uh, Seth Kumal is um, a strategist. Um, he, is, he is the guy that Mercy has learned when it comes time to set up strategies for battle or building things in a defensive way. Uh, he's, he's very intelligent that way. He's capable. He uses a long halberd-type axe, which is a two-handed weapon, uh, but he's also pretty intelligent. Um, and then the second one is Devin. Now, Devin's the oldest of her knights. He's probably in his mid to late 30s. Um, and Devin is a scholar-type kind of person. He's very well-knowledgeable on a lot of subjects, um, especially when it comes to things like engineering and things of that nature. Uh, in many ways, when he comes into the group, uh, he becomes when he comes almost a, uh, a teacher or mentor for majority of the knights, even Mercy, in the non-combat topics. So how, to, how the best way to make sure that your garrisons are fed, to design them in a way to, to make sure that you have the best protection. He's, he works very much with Seth, um, and Seth really becomes the knight in charge of the border. Uh, the border area specifically between Serenity and the part of land that would lead to um, Oromon. Because the Oromon threat, while they've not had it in the last year and a half, is still out there. And um, Serenity has built several guard towers and barriers and walls. And they have patrols out there that guard that. Uh, as well as people who guard beyond the wall, beyond, beyond the towers, to you know try to keep up with information and that that uh group of people who are kind of what you'd say almost your spies those are those are run by Quan. Quan's the guy who takes care of information uh so Quan is off a lot dealing with them and things so the knights come and go quite often in and out of serenity but mercy is pretty much always aware of where they are and there are ways of calling them back if they need to 
Um, at the point that we are right now in the story, um, Quan and Seamus are both away dealing with some different things. Seamus is one of the ambassadors to uh, that really deals with a lot of the different town leaders and town groups because he's grown up here and he's pretty charismatic and people know him as the big cuddly bear guy um, who looks after locals. So uh, he's very often a bridge between the local towns and Serenity um, and is used that way. Sorry, I'm a little thirsty today. I may be quaffing a lot of drinks. Um, so Serenity's popping up. Sewers are being installed in areas. Uh, the temple is done at this point. It has been built. Um, it has multiple things around it, such as uh, there's a large garden and things. Kelvin, the Kender cleric, is in charge of a lot of that, the decoration and the plants and the gardens and hedging and all that kind of stuff. He does, he, he works on those and makes them very pretty and artistic. Um, but the temple is pretty much done. Lucas is in charge of security. And in, in all of this, the amount of guards and security for Serenity has greatly increased. Um, partially because of the threat of Ormon. Uh, Mercy is avidly working towards building her military for defense purposes. Uh, oh, wait a minute. Punkbuster says, good morning. Catch your stream. It's 3 a.m. here. Don't know if I'll make the whole stream. Well, that is all right, man. I appreciate you swung by. <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh, who else we got in here? What's going on? Uh, oh, there you go. Hello, Mystique. Welcome. Just uh, doing a little bit of uh, chat of the uh, setting the stage for the next story part, the next adventure. So hopefully this isn't too boring for you guys. I promise it's important for later. Um, but... Uh, so yeah, at the point that they're at now, uh, they're they're building their military. Um, there's patrols that travel between the villages um, of the different small towns around Serenity, uh, Serenity, of which there were five. Uh, four of them are all under Serenity's protection at this point. Uh, four of them have accepted Serenity as, not as like a leader type, but kind of like an overseeing their lands, their farm. She doesn't tax any of that. She doesn't come in and say, you, I own your land now. Um, but they do assist some financially in the upkeep of guards, building of roads between the villages to help trade, uh, protection of the farm. Serenity handles all of that. Um, so they do assist financially with a little bit of that seen through the mayors. But, um, Mercy definitely charges them less than she probably should. Um, but Mercy is no slouch when it comes to money. Both her and Artemis are overwhelmingly wealthy from the things that they've done at this point. Um, the adventures and things. And, I mean, Dandy has a huge chunk of fortune as well. And she has almost no need to spend it. Um, but we're going we're gonna to kind of cover some of that because because of the money they have, several changes have been made to kind of their lifestyles and serenity. Um, one of the big ones is, of course, Molly. We talked about that at the end of last adventure. Molly has come to serenity and uh, she is working there. Molly was the lady who lived uh, next to their house in Paxual and who made the pies and Darsh loved her pies. And uh, she has moved to serenity and uh, she instead of taking uh, her own business, uh, she works at the temple. So she lives at the temple now, and she's one of the uh, head cooks there, uh, preferably in desserts. Uh, on the occasion that Darsh may come to visit, uh, she's on hand to whip up those emergency pies. Uh, but Molly is living there, and she has her uh, she has her own uh, home 
or such in the temple. So they offered her a house, but she wanted to live in the temple. That's something that she accepted. Uh, she wanted to do. Um, Dandy and Michael have a home now here. Uh, they had a home built. It's not huge and extravagant because of everybody. They're the ones that leave the most often out doing their undead stuff, hunting, um, which they do, but they're not gone quite as much as they used to. And they also help Serenity in exploring the surrounding lands and such that they haven't gone into, like when they found Kendertown. Uh, as soon as that was discovered, of course, Dandy was the perfect ambassador for Serenity to send for that, although it was a horror story for Michael. Uh, Kender Cities could drive someone insane, and it's very easy to get lost in a Kender City because the concept of roads and such is not a concept <laughs> in Kender Cities. Uh, but that is... Uh, was it Kender Town or Kender Home? I apologize. Because technically both exist, although one's not with these groups. Give me just a second here. Um... Give me one. I'll make sure I give you the right name here. Kendertown. Yeah, this is Kendertown. And their leader is an older Kender named Pappy Longfellow. Whether or not Pappy's his whole name or not, his original name, nobody knows. He just goes by Pappy, and that's what everybody calls him. Uh, he's pure gray-haired. Looks like he's probably in his 60s, which is overwhelmingly old for a Kender. Kenders have a habit of curiosity killing the cat. So there's that. Um, but life's going well. They all get to hang out in between adventures, their little mini adventures, and Mercy building Serenity, Artemis building. There's more clerics there now. Several of the clerics that came to help with the pregnancy have stayed. Some have returned. And uh, overall, it's building up a, a really nice beginnings of a city. Serenity is growing overwhelmingly fast. And it helps that both Mercy and Artemis have a lot of money to dump into that. It's allowing it to grow much faster than an average city would, I guess you could say. But I didn't want to kind of cover that because uh, people very often ask when I tell this story, wow, didn't that get to a city very, very fast over just a couple of years? Yes, it did. Um, but the companions dumped so much gold. I, I charged them for each thing that they wanted added. I charged them. And they have money coming in as well for the people who are on the land and giving money, you know, for taxing and such people who are living on land Mercy claims and b selling some of that land and things like that. And Mercy has deals with um, a good chunk of the farmers to buy their crops at a good price, a certain amount of it. The rest of it they can take to markets and things, but in order for her to take care of her soldiers and her people, she, she definitely buys a large amount of the surrounding crops. Not enough that hurts anybody else by any means. There's always plenty going around, but she definitely... Uh, pays top dollar for what she buys, which is another thing that's caused people who live far away to potentially move suit closer, especially as Serenity is starting to also become a market hub where people are coming to trade because there's so many workmen there, temporary workmen who are buying things to take back to Paxawall or people who are going to be here for a year building stuff and are just living in you know pop-up tents or small uh, dorm-like buildings getting some of those uh, creature comforts uh, are, are very, very uh, popular. So there's a lot of that. For Pappy, curiosity killed the cat, satisfaction brought it back. Very accurate. I like Pappy. We'll see Pappy. Pappy doesn't pop up a whole lot, but he's fun when he does. Uh, they have the new... Uh, Jacob is Serenity's uh, master armorsmith. They have that. They have their own forges. So Mercy is slowly producing weapons and armor. That is a, that is a tough point for Serenity. Um, and that's something I want to touch on because Serenity doesn't have a lot of good mining area. 
They're not really any, near any mountains of that kind. Uh, there is one mine uh, past Oakleaf, which is the city furthest to the west that falls within Serenity, about halfway between Serenity and what they call their border, where Oromon, uh, beyond that is Oromon's land. And I want to stress, it's not like Serenity and Oromon. It's Serenity, a bunch of land nobody claims, and then Oromon. So there's a big chunk in the middle that's just land where nobody lives, or there's the odd house or fort or whatever. Uh, that is its own little whatever, but uh, it's outside of both cities claimed space uh, a neutral zone if you will uh, goodbye I gotta sleep it's 2am or 1 2am alright Cole thanks for coming by have a good evening in England so I just wanted to kind of touch on some of the things that had happened in Serenity how it was growing uh, it is growing quite well and Mercy's plans for what she wants are very well planned out just realized that those are still up and thank you, Uncreative, for the sub. Thank you, The Rixer, for the sub. Okay. Sometimes it's been popping in three or four at a time. I don't know if there's a delay or what, <laughs> but it's okay. Um, so, yes, they're working on these things. They're putting this stuff together, and uh, uh, they've got a plan for phases. So if people had to go adventuring for some reason, the city can continue to build towards those end goals. We planned a lot of that out. Specifically for that purpose. Because this is D&D. And people gotta adventure. Alright. So. Oh, what do we got there? Hey, Xylon. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Let me, let me get my pen so I can jot that down and make sure it gets added to the total after the stream. Thank you very much. That is very appreciated. Thank you for supporting the channel in that way. And a merry, merry happy Christmas to you as well. Phenomenal. Thank you. <laughs> oh, goodness. It's been, a, it's been a bang up week for that kind of stuff. I appreciate you guys. It's, it's a tight time. I appreciate you guys are throwing my way. So thank you. Uh, what do we have to the donation goal? I had updated it. It's in the bottom left there. Before that, we were at 289.985. So uh, that puts us at right around 292 and change. So we're, we're within $10 of hitting this. I kind of thought this would be like my April or May goal. Get me out in the middle of the year. <laughs> I misunderstood and under uh, uh, expected your guys' overwhelming curiosity. So thank you very much for that. I appreciate it. And I've been getting a lot of good feedback that people like the idea of, of, of focusing on trying to get a 3D printer after that so I can make specific things to give away and maybe make some D&D themes things to put on the ODG store. So uh, we may look into doing that unless we come up with something better. That, that very likely may become the next donation goal after this one. But if you have feedback for something you think would be cool, good donation goal, let us know in the Discord channel. Come by, hit us up, uh, throw it our way, and we will definitely take a look at it because I definitely appreciate that. All right. So now we're going to get jumping into the story. Okay. Set the mood, if we will. We've gone 30 minutes in. I've given you enough information. Again, you've learned about the two new knights. Uh, that puts Mercy at... It's like seven now? Yes. Oh, the one last thing that I forgot to mention. Uh, in the last adventure, when Mercy and them were about to fight Oromon, there was a small attack and she, after she had met two young men. And one of the young men died as the two of them tried to get notice to Mercy that uh, Ormanian elites were sneaking into their lands. Uh, the young lad who survives name was Flynn, and Flynn has now become Mercy's squire. 
Uh, he is the goal is to raise him to the point that he may eventually become a knight as well. Uh, at this point, he's like 16, 15, 16, and he's been uh, serving under Mercy for a year and a half, training with the knights, learning things of that nature. Um, but he also works as her assistant in things, her personal assistant slash squire. Uh, so he's her, he's her gopher. Um, but I want to make that up because that becomes important. Okay. So I got a little bit of reading here to get started. And we'll jump into this next adventure. It is a well-known fact that Mercy enjoys sleep. It's much a running gag, much like Darsh and his pies. Mercy's always looking for a comfortable place to sleep. She rarely gets enough of it due to her busy schedule. And in all of her travels and adventures and all the places she's ever been, she's never found a bed more comfortable than her bed in Serenity. It's a huge bed, handcrafted by dwarven craftsmen. The mattress seemed to be the softest thing in the world. Because of this, waking Mercy earlier than normal was one of the one chore Flynn hated the most. On more than one occasion, he'd been bombarded with pillows thrown with such deadly accuracy, he had to crawl out of the door for his life. Not to mention, it always left Mercy in a foul mood for the rest of the morning. So when Mercy heard the heavy knocking on the door, she opened her eyes and saw it was still dark out. She immediately armed herself with the nearest heavy pillow and said, come in. All right, let me see what that was here. Uh, Steven! Oh, damn! <laughs> Thank you very much! Oh, snap, we're going to write that down too. Thank you, Steven. That is overwhelmingly appreciated. Wow, that hits our goal. Good Lord, that is phenomenal. Okay, let me write that down. Again, you guys, I, I appreciate this. This, over the holidays, you guys have been ungodly charitable. And I definitely appreciate that. And as always, I try to do everything I can to put it back into the channel. And I, I want to do the tattoo, the ODG tattoo over my heart to show you guys how serious I am uh, about this whole channel and what's going on. Uh, it'll probably be February at the earliest before I can get it. I say that because uh, everything that's been donated... YouTube pays it out to the end of the following month. So uh, I just got November's this money I will get at the end of next month. So it'll probably be in February that I look up uh, a day to actually get it done. And uh, we may, uh, we're definitely going to take pictures and record some of it. Might even see if there's a way to stream a bit of it over phones. Just crossed my mind. Maybe stream a little bit of getting the tattoo. I don't know if that would be considered adult content. We'll have to look into that, but that would be cool. So, yeah, again, thank you all so very much. Yes, and I will look in February to uh, get myself my second tattoo and get inked up. So that I will forever be branded with my love for the ODG community. Thank you very much. Oh, goodness. So what was the last thing I said there? Um, so when Mercy heard the heavy knocking on the door, she opened her eyes and saw it was still dark out. She immediately armed herself with the nearest heavy pillow and said, come in. When the door opened and she saw Ulrich standing there, dressed fully in his armor and armed, the pillow dropped from her hand and she immediately came fully awake. Report, she said. That's something that the young lady who uh, ran Mercy says very often. Report, that's what she used to always say to her, to her guards when they'd show up or they looked troubled or something was wrong. Uh, report was always her thing. I always thought, felt it was very uh, Captain Picardish in the way that she said it. And I always thought that was kind of funny. Uh, let's see here. Steven says, you seem like a great guy. Enjoy streams and videos, and I'm happy to support you in your dream. Thank you so much, Steven. I appreciate that. Wow, what a nice thing to say. Oh, and it is. It is my dream and goal to make this a full-time gig. I say it a lot. So uh, I am very excited to uh, 
continue working towards that. So thank you so much. I appreciate that. Okay. Um, so she said report is what she said. And then Mercy has that kind of tone. Even with her, her friends, when things get serious, she's very short and to the point. Her and Darsh are great to have a hit it. Hard? Yes. Now? Go. I mean, <laughs> I've seen them have that conversation in combat. That's just their, uh, they're very, they don't need to say a lot to know what they need to do to work well with each other. And Artemis and Dandy are all words. <laughs> Milady, a messenger is here from the town of Oakleaf. They have been attacked. Mercy was up in an instant, reaching for her clothes. Out of the corner of her eye, she saw Ulrich quickly turn his head away. Mercy's not shy. Uh, her knights are more shy for her. So while she's immediately getting dressed and armed, uh, Flynn is, as soon as Ulrich uh, is in and she's up and going, Flynn is like right in the room behind her. He was so relieved that Ulrich said, I'll wake her. <laughs> and, and so now that she's up and going and she's in you know battle mode, Ulrich's in there immediately helping her get her armor on and arming and all that kind of stuff. Uh, while Ulrich gives information of what had happened. Um, a small group of ogres, somewhere between 10 and 15 of them, had attacked the town of Oakleaf. Uh, Oakleaf, again, is the town furthest to the west. Um, and yeah, in that that town is the one where, in the early adventure, when they first came to these lands, they went to check on that village and everybody had been killed or taken, and they went and saved a lot of them from the mine where they met Seamus. So that town is still the smallest because it was the most decimated years earlier. And it's growing, it's making a rebound, but uh, it's one of the further towns away from Serenity. There's one town further to the northeast, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. Uh, but this one's a little distance away. Um, it's still within a day travel, of course, uh, but it is kind of uh, and it, near the ex extends of her of her land uh, that's, that her and her, her people protect. Um, several farms around that area are told that they were attacked as well. A messenger came from Oakleaf asking for help. Uh, the, there's a pat the patrol in that area has already uh, trying to been assist, but the uh, ogres are really, really big, of course. And... Uh, they are uh, a trouble to deal with. Now, as I mentioned before, Quan and Seamus are currently away. Um, but the others that are here, Devin and Seth, happens to be back from the, from the wall. He spends a lot of time on, his, on the border. Uh, but he, uh, he's, uh, spending, he, he happens to be back as well. So um, Ulrich, Lars and Wade are both there. Um, and then Devin and Seth are both there. Uh, so they all kind of posse up, if you will. And they take about 50, the, the 50 uh, knights are called, or 50 warriors are called up of her soldiers and such. Uh, probably some of the more experienced. They lost a lot of soldiers in the last, you know, in the war a year and a half ago. So while they're building, many of them are in different phases of training and expertise. Uh, the ones that are, you know, pretty much ready to go and just do actual work and don't spend as much time training. That's who she's grabbing. People a lot of times who work on the patrols, but are, they take shifts kind of thing. Some are patrolling, some are back at the keep and so on and so forth. So they immediately uh, gather things up. Ulrich did take uh, information as well to, or had information sent to the temple that this uh, has occurred because if there was an attack, there could also be injured and things of that nature. I got to catch them on the chat real quick. Um... Is it cursed? I apologize. I'm not sure what you said. Is it cursed? I may have missed it. Uh, I haven't actively had a lot of schoolwork. Oh, it's okay, Phantom. It's no problem. Busy time of year. I get that. 
Um, let's see. Draven, I found out why my card didn't work. Somebody somehow got in my bank account. Oh, snap. Oh, man. That, uh, that blows. Identity theft is roughed. I've been hit once, and luckily we snagged it before anything real major was done. But, yeah, nowadays that is, that is not pretty. I'm so sorry that happened to you. Is the town cursed? Not specifically, but a ways past it towards the border. I was talking about this earlier and kind of skipped off. There is an active mining operation um, in that same area. There was like a quarry where all the, the bad guys had uh, from Ormond had, were holding Seamus and the, the villagers prisoner at their base camp. Uh, that was a mine back in the day, and it is now being developed again. Since that was not claimed by anybody, uh, an, a man and his crew have taken over that area and are building it up. Uh, I wouldn't say the town is cursed. I would say the town is very unfortunate. Again, it's also the smallest one and the furthest away from Serenity. One of the furthest away from Serenity. So it would be uh, prime attacking. And ogres don't really care. <laughs> as long as there's, you know... A feasible chance they may win. They're going to go in. It is, I will say, uh, early spring. So it's, uh, there are cool nights, but mostly warm days. Give you guys an idea of the time of year. Um, but there's that. So they, uh, Mercy loads up with her remaining knights. Um, as she and the knights are prepped, and it, it happens really quickly. These guys are trained for this. And they start kind of coming down the, the roads of Serenity. Of course, people are looking out their windows. You don't hear this kind of, you know, this many horses come bumbling through uh, at like 5 o'clock in the morning, which is about what time it is. A lot of people look out the windows like, oh, what's going on, you know? And they see Mercy's people leaving the city. Everybody's like, oh, something's going down. Um, As they're because they, they're going to pass the temples, they get past the temple. Uh, they find that there is a small group of Templars there with a couple of clerics, including Miasha, um, who has come to travel with them, uh, at least unto the village part to try to help any wounded or injured. Uh, Artemis, with having baby Seraph, uh, does not go out on a lot of the minis, or uh, usually one of her ranked do that, ranked clerics. Uh, and she usually stays at the temple now. For anything that would be considered local issues, that it would be problems. One, because everybody wants to keep her and Seraph safe. And Lucas just won't have it. <laughs> Lucas is... Well, he, she loves to do Sometimes becomes a thorn in Artemis's side. Um, but they, uh, they start kicking it over to Oakleaf. Um, Dandy and Michael also join up en route. Uh, they... Ulrich was nice enough to say what was going on, and Dandy and Michael. Uh, while it's not an undead thing, they're still friends, and you know they always like to chip in where they can. It they uh, they everybody horses up, and everybody starts going that direction. So they're on, nobody's on foot at this point. Again, part of the reason why Mercy wants to have a large amount of horses. Uh, she doesn't have enough to all of her city guards and such to have horses but for situations like this she does and that's why she's trying to gather more and more so that she, they can be mobile when needed especially in a situation where it's something large scale like Ormond she wants to know her people can get to the defense uh, very very quickly so um, yes so it takes them less than a day to get there because they're hurrying um, of course uh, and as they're within just in 30 minutes to an hour of the city, they come across a couple small towns, or some towns, small farms that they can see um, were at least partially ransacked. Uh, from what they've seen, the ogres didn't smash into the homes and try to hurt any of the people, but they did take and kill a large amount of the uh, um, 
livestock. Uh, and it literally looks like they've taken them for meat. Like they kill a cow and then just walk off dragging it behind them. Again, ogres are big. Ogres are taller than Darsh. Ogres are big guys. They're like mini giants, if you will. Um, soon after that, they managed to make it into the town of Oakleaf itself. Now, <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I'm going to throw something into this, not right now, but I'm going to throw something into the story that at the end of the night, I want you to remind me that there's something funny I want to point out. I'm not going to do it now. It's going to happen sometime tonight, but it is a... Uh, a, fun, a funny little snippet I threw in here in a little bit. And I'd just be interested to see if anybody catched it. Um, but they get into town and immediately start assessing the situation. Uh, looks like there was uh, a little bit of fire issue. Mostly just from them causing trouble and knocking stuff over. Um, the city guards, there's not a lot of them. Um, most of them were uh, injured or killed in the defense of the town. Um, but... The, uh, uh, the, the patrol of 20 of Knights of Mercy's guards arrived very soon after this and have been defending since. By the time they got there, the ogres had left, but in the concern that they would come back, uh, two of them left to track them. One immediately started going, was sent to Serenity to tell what was going on, and the rest stayed in defense of the village. Because again, there's always the fear, are the ogres alone? Is this something larger is there something more sinister going on? Or is it just an attack? Which can happen. There's a fantasy world. There's ogres out there. They want a sandwich. They see, here's cows. I'll just go take that cow from these people who weigh smaller than me. If it doesn't look like they're going to be able to really be hurt by doing so, ogres don't care. Um, and again, to just put a little kind of a darker spin on it, to be honest, uh, this, <laughs> these are the situations also where um, half ogres begin to exist. Uh, so there's that as well. Fortunately, there seems to be nothing of that in this situation. No one was kidnapped or taken. It was mostly supplies uh, and livestock that appears to be ransacked. The ogres... Um, it's hard to tell. Did they live near here? Were they just passing through? Uh, but whatever the case is, they could be a potential danger moving forward. Um, mercy... Sent, Lar Lars and, and Wade immediately like, we're going to go track him as well. We'll catch up to the guards that are doing that because there are rangers, there are trackers. They immediately take off in that direction. And, you know, everybody can see that's the direction. I mean, everybody in the city can say they went that way. It's not hard to know the approximate direction. But they take off that direction. Well, Mercy takes uh, chat at the town. Now, uh, the mayor of this town, uh, her name is... Magania Aladonia, but she just has everybody call her Meg. Um, she, what Mercy calls her. They, uh, she's a little bit older than Mercy, but her and Mercy get along pretty well. Um, Meg's has a little bit of uh, combat military experience from her youth as well. So her and Mercy are very see eye to eye in a lot of things. Um, and uh, Oakleaf and Moonbrook were two of the uh, the first towns to sign up under Serenity to, to partner with them, mostly because they saved Oakleaf several times already, and Moonbrook, the same situation. Um, so, Mercy's talked with them a bunch of times. Uh, let's see. Draven, have you played Ark? Yes, I did not like it at all. I tried it a few times. I think we streamed it once, too, and I wasn't a big fan. I wasn't a fan of the mechanics of it. When it comes to that type of game, crafting, survival, 
Um, I'd rather swing by Seven Days to Die. I found it a little bit more interesting than the dinosaurs. But I've never been a big dinosaur guy. I got friends who love dinosaurs. I, they're fine. I'm just, I've never been a big dinosaur guy. Um, so they find out that at their count, there is, again, between 10 and 15 ogres is the count. Um, one ogre was very, very injured. And uh, as Mercy and her 50 and all the people with them are traveling in that direction, now they're leaving the town once they get the lowdown, make sure everybody's okay. They're leaving um, Miasha and all the clerics here. Miasha offers to go with them in case they need healing. Uh, but Mercy's like, no, we're good on this. Deal with the injured and such here. Miasha's like, okay. Because Miasha, well, representing the temple... With Artemis not there, she would immediately do what Mercy says. With Artemis there, she would half the time do what Mercy says if it's protecting Artemis. <laughs> but temple stuff, you know, she is second in command of the temple. Uh, so she is um, pretty... She can tell the Templar. They all follow what she says, too. Unless, you know, Artemis was to override her. And that's never happened. Artemis has been very careful to never, ever override Miasha publicly. Um, so that everyone knows that she trusts her completely. Um, but they begin traveling after them. The, the, 20, uh, the, the, the ones that are still there from the patrol are left to protect the village. On the off chance, there is, again, a, still a problem. Um, and the clear, there, there is Miasha and about five clerics. Um, four of them are clerics of healing. Uh, one of them is a cleric of the light, which, as we know, is the, the main god of good. Goddess Minara, I should say. Uh, goddess of light. Um, so those are probably the two most common, and many would view the most powerful of the clerics, of the good clerics, I should say. Um, there's that. So it doesn't take long for them to catch up to Wade. Uh, Wade hung back. Once they figured out where they were going, Lars continued to track, um, and Wade stayed where he was. Wade caught up. Coming that direction, as they're going after Wade and Lars, they catch up with Wade and the two that were tracking the ogres were coming back to give a report. The ogres seemed to have a rough camp area in uh, the forest to the north. Again, the forest of above Serenity is huge, if you'll remember. It's massive, and uh, a lot of it is, is unexplored. Um, they've explored a little bit of it. They've had to come... Uh, some like they up through the woods is how you get to Kendertown. Um, but and up in part of that part way chunk into it is where the realm gate is, where they have a road going to that now. So they definitely know a bunch of the forest around there, but it goes hundreds of miles. It's a massive forest, and so uh, it's easy for something to get into a lush forest, especially as it's spring and everything's growing and flowers and the trees are starting to bloom and such again. Um, it'd be very easy to get in the forest and get lost, unless you know you're a 15 foot ogre. Who doesn't care? It's a little bit easier to find you. Ogres, much to the contrary, are not stupid. A lot of people place ogres as stupid. And like anything else, I'm sure there are stupid ones and smart ones. Um, but the average, it's not that they're not smart. It's that they're indifferent. They feel indestructible. They're like, ah, I'm not worried about it. I'm, these are little things. Squish. And nine times out of ten, they're right. So when, you know, it doesn't matter if a group of knights come running in with swords and axes, they're like, ah, they're, they're squish. Grab a tree and thump one, and they could maybe succeed with that. Um, so I've always played, I've always believed that they're not idiots. Uh, they're just overly cocky. 
They're very overly confident, and because of their strength and their size, and they're not clumsy. They're agile for somebody that big. They can move around if they need to. And that is for the average type of ogre. There are many types of ogres in Merged Worlds. This is your normal everyday ogre. Oh, I see Mr. Midnight sleeping on the chair. Hello, buddy. Didn't see him over there. You can't really see him on the screen, but I can see him. He's cute, and he's right there. Okay. So, um, the information that they've received is that, hey, they have, it appears that they have made a camp. Uh, Lars is up there keeping an eye on him. He'll come back if they start to move. But um, by this point, again, they were, it was, they were traveling, right? Um, and I said it took almost a day to get there. They left very early in the morning. There, it's very early in the morning again. The sun is not completely up yet. Um, and as they're approaching the woods, um, from the information that they got, uh, it'll take about 15 to 20 walking minutes into the woods to get the ogres. Uh, to where the ogres are camped, where if all is going well, Lars is watching them. The issue is the woods are thick and it is a bit hilly here. So they're not going to be able to take their horses into the woods. So what Mar Mercy does is five of the soldiers she brought with her, because remember she brought 50 plus her knights, five of the soldiers she leaves to watch over the horses. The other 45 and her knights and uh, Dandy and Michael travel with her. Michael, every so often she looks at Michael and he just shakes his head, which means there's no undead around, which usually is not the case. They haven't had a problem with undead in Serenity ever. There's never been a concern of that nature in this area. But Mercy's very cautious and he's basically a radar for undead, right? So why, hmm? No, we're good. Okay, cool. Ogres. We can deal with that. And then we travel a bit further. Hmm? No. Okay, cool. It's just still ogres. It's one of those things Michael keeps him abreast and, um, Again, they've just never really had an issue in that area. So when Michael and Dandy travel to hunt undead, they usually travel a good distance. We're going to talk a little bit more about hunters in a few minutes. Which, for the record, is a sub-character class in, uh, in Merge World. Uh, it is a kit that is can be a warrior or rogue kit. Uh, actually, you can take... I'm sorry, let me take that back. No, it's, it's a kit that can be used by any class. Um, but gives perks and limitations. So you can be a wizard hunter, you can be a cleric. Cleric hunter, you're usually going to be a cleric of the light or cleric of life, um, which is the opposite, of course, of cleric of death. I think we can all put that together. Um, but there, it is a kit that is available, but it affects each class a little bit differently. <clears throat> Both Dandy and Michael are hunter kits at this point. <clears throat> uh, just throwing that out there. Hunters exist in Merge World uh, quite a bit, because undead are a relatively large problem in, in, in most of the areas of Merge World. In fact, you could almost say, like, when the world was created, a whole bunch of sections full of undead were pulled in. Hmm, I wonder what chaotic god might have caused that to happen. But yes, uh, because of that, there is a network of hunters. Um, and a lot of times you get to a town of any adequate size, you're going to find an inn or a building where hunters gather for information and trade off and sometimes join each other on, on bigger quests. Um, in Serenity, that's Dandy and Michael. So we're going to come back to that. Ogres first. Mercy is making her way in. Um, as she does, Michael and Dandy and Wade go ahead to catch up with Lars to make sure that nothing has happened there. Uh, they are the sneakiest. Michael, who's very sneaky, is probably the loudest of the three. Um, 
but he's still pretty he's still pretty good. Dandy's taught him a lot. Um, just because undead have good hearing, you'd be surprised. Um, so they're uh, they they catch on, and Mercy and her knights are coming at a at a fast walking pace, but they're also trying not to be a large clanky noise coming through the through the forest. They'd like to get a bit of a jump on the ogres if they can. Um, Mercy doesn't necessarily just say, "Hey, there's an ogre, let's hunt it." That's not how Serenity rolls. If there's, you know, reports of ogres or trolls or something. They'll keep an eye on it and make sure they're passing through and leaving. But if they try to stay, or if they cause any problem like these ones did, Mercy immediately snuffs that out. She she won't leave a threat there if she can help it. Uh, so, eventually, she's getting closer. Lars comes back. Uh, Wade and Dandy and Michael are still hanging out there now. But Lars has come back to give a little bit of update. The ogres are... They had slept for a while, but now they're full awake. They are eating some of the, you know... They're literally, there's like five or six cows that they've just dragged back. Cows and a couple large pigs. Um, and they've, they brought, somebody grabbed a barrel of apples and stuff. You know, they grabbed a bunch of food products and things. So that's what they wanted was a feast, right? Um, and maybe to kill a few people for fun. But mostly they just wanted easy food. Um, as it is spring, things are growing. And a lot of stuff is fully grown yet. It's a little bit harder pickings. And you'll still get the maybe light dusting of snow in the middle of the night, early morning that's gone by midday. So for somebody who doesn't really want to work for food, stealing it's the easiest way. So they've got a big fire in the middle of this big clearing they've found that's uh, kind of in a bowl shape. Like it's like a half bowl with a hill, a little bit of a hill comes up over it. So it's not flat. Imagine if you had a f- flat ground and somebody scooped a hole out and plopped it next to the thing. So it scoops out and then comes up. And there's a couple that are sleeping up there. they got the fire pit in there. It's a good size uh, for ogres. I mean, it's like a uh, the size of a s- McDonald's. Maybe two McDonald's, give you an idea. Fast food restaurant. You might, everybody, they're pretty consistent. I think we all know how big an average McDonald's is, uh, as long as it's not like in a mall or something. But it's, you know, it's that size uh, to give you an idea. Uh, question. I wonder how they would handle a town of undead who aren't actively trying to kill the world and just want to live their unnatural lives peacefully. Like that could ever happen. Definitely could. Technically, Draven was one of those. He was half undead. Yeah. Partially undead. His his essence and aura came off as undead. Because it's believed that his people were one of the original sources of undead. But we talked about that. Um, so in this situation, Mercy and her knights sat down. Well, didn't sit down. They got together. They laid out what was going on. And she planned out the attack. Um, Seth, who was there. Uh, this was the first time that Mercy got to play with this with with these NPCs. So Seth and uh, Devin were both there providing information of benefits. Here's what we know about Devin's here's what I know about ogres. This is the size that we're seeing. These are the type of ogres that we that we know they probably are, so on and so forth. Um, him and Seth get together and like based on what we know about ogres and their normal attack, even though you can see twelve of them in the woods, they're not complete idiots or camping. There's probably one or two in the woods just sleeping or laying around somewhere in case somebody tries to jump in or there's a problem, they can kind of come in and hopefully um, flank whoever the attackers are. So, strategically, Seth, uh, they're slowly making their way around and her and her knights are kind of surrounding this clearing with the goal of coming in in all directions. Um, That puts Lars and Wade, Dandy and Michael as scouts. 
Danny and Michael are going east around, because everybody went north, I should say. They're going up north to get to the woods. They went in about 15, 20-minute walk. And so Dandy and Michael are going east and around. Lars and Wade are going west and around. When they get to the top and make sure that they've either taken care of or located any problems, all the guards that are following them are kind of circling. They're giving a distance, going slower because they're not as quiet. Once they get all around, Mercy will blow her Mercy horn, and then they'll all go charging in kind of together um, with Lars, Wade, Dandy, and Michael coming from the north down, and... Uh, Devin, Seth, Ulrich, and Mercy. I think that's everybody. I hope I'm not missing anybody. Hmm? <laughs> Charging down. Flynn is not here. Flynn is trained and might be an asset, but with all the knights gone, Flynn helps oversee the castle. Normally, one of the knights would be left for that, but this was something Mercy took everybody. Uh, so Flynn, uh, and very often... Just make sure that everything's flowing. People are fed, so on and going on. He oversees a lot of what Mercy's... Com- While I'm gone, do this. Um, and he, he's not in charge, but he's basically passing off her commands. And people understand that. And he's never been a problem. So if he was, Mercy would deal with it. And that's way worse than anything they could do. <clears throat> so sure enough, as Dandy and Michael were going around their direction, they came across two ogres just kind of hanging about... 20 feet away from the clearing. One is asleep, and the other one's just kind of sitting there munching on a cow leg that looks like it was half-cooked. It's this huge leg. He's holding like a this knot on it, sitting there, and, and you know, it, it, they, there's a rough blanket. It was obviously the hide of some creature there that's covering one, and the other one's sitting on one. He's leaning against a tree, chewing, and even leaning against a tree, he's way taller than Dandy and Michael. Um, Wade and Lars came across no problem on their way around, um, but Dandy and Michael came across these two. So Dandy passes and goes around them, because she's the super quiet sneaky one, goes to Lars and Wade and makes them aware of these two, and that causes Lars and Wade's people to come a little bit more eastwise so that their knights can cover that spot, because the other knights can't get around them. Some of those knights are going to have to follow Dandy and Michael against these two ogres. This was the plan ahead of time since they came across it. It'd be the other way around if Lars and Wade found them. Dandy and Michael's group would come around to cover it. They don't want to leave an opening as everybody's charging in. But now Dandy, Michael, and at least five or six of the knights are going to have to try to get a jump on these ogres. Um, Dandy, of all of them, probably the, the, the best to do that. Um, if you're a rogue in Dungeons & Dragons... Uh, just a straight-up thief, one of the most powerful things you have is called the backstab. If you successfully can backstab a creature without them knowing it, you can do double, triple, quadruple, the higher level you are, the more damage you can do. The object is you're stabbing a vital or something like that, jugular or getting a kidney, something that's a, a, a stab somewhere where they weren't expecting it, so you're able to get in deep, twist it, slice it, whatever, but you're able to hit a very targeted, very vulnerable area because they don't know you're coming. Where in normal combat, it's harder to do a cold shot. Like, I'm going to aim for his throat. Okay. Um, So that's a very big perk that rogues have. Now, there are limitations. Even if you somehow sneak up on a dragon, your dagger's not going to do much. Right? I mean, concept. So the ogre, Dandy, has to be careful because she's going to try, she tried to do a backstab on one, and she's literally going for the throat. 
So she's going to try to climb up the tree that the guy's sitting and leaning against eating his food and come around and be shoulder height. Michael's not real happy with this. He knows she could probably pull it off, but he doesn't like that she's going to be the first one in alone. Uh, he, he's just not that nimble to do the same thing. His main goal is as soon as Dandy gives her signal or they hear mercy signal is to go straight for the throat of that thing. And then Michael has to charge in and try to get the sleeping one before it's fully up. Um, so everybody gets in their positions. Their strategies are set. Mercy and Dandy have planned all this out. Mer Mercy, Ulrich, and Dandy, the characters, of course, with the NPCs. Um, it was a lot of fun for me because I ha got to give a lot of these guys um, different personalities. And you're not seeing a lot of that right now. We'll see more as we go on. But when we're playing this, Michael, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, Artemis, or Mercy, even Darsh, they're literally talking back and forth to me and I'm playing the different characters. So I get to have, sometimes they have an accent, sometimes they have a different way. I don't normally do the accents on stream because they're very bad and they're embarrassing. <laughs> but a lot of these things, I do a Scottish accent for all dwarves and it is not flattering to Scottish people. It is probably insulting. So another reason why I wouldn't do it on stream. Uh, but, you know, I have a habit of slipping into a, a very thick... Uh, you know, cheesy style of Scottish accent whenever I'm talking about a dwarf. Um, so that's just something that happens. I don't know why all dwarves are Scottish, uh, but they are. And personally, I love that because I'm, I'm a huge fan of my family is uh, of Scottish descent and I love everything Scottish. I, that's the one country in the world I want to visit more than any other. It's like Scotland, England, Japan, and Australia are probably my big four. Uh, but if I could only go to one, it'd be Scotland. I've always wanted to go there and see some of the land that my family's clan came from. Uh, my grandmother's maiden name is McGilvery. Um, and there are a lot of, where I grew up in Canada, there are a lot of Scots. It was a very heavily uh, Scottish area that moved to there. And um, so there are a lot of classic Scots names. And I go to the Highland Games. They have them all over the place in the U.S. different times a year. And I get to go and check those out. And I don't know a lot about the Scottish, how it worked back then. I'd like to be more knowledgeable. I just never really put the effort into it. That's on me. Uh, but I love the Celtic music that you hear, the old stuff and the new stuff, uh, the type of instruments. I actually, three of my great uncles could play the bagpipes professionally. And had I not moved to the United States, as the eldest of my generation, they had every intention of teaching me. Because I'm the oldest of like 12 or 14 grandkids on, on that side. Um, so I was supposed to learn how to do that, but then we moved to the States away from all of them. So I didn't get my, my, uh, great uncle who passed away a couple days before Christmas, I mentioned on an earlier stream, uh, was the last of the, uh, his generation of McGilvery's, my grandma's seven older brothers. Uh, question here. Hey, Draven, are you a Laird of Scotland? I don't believe so. Cause I feel bad. I'm not sure what a Laird is and I'm not anything of Scotland other than a huge fan. <laughs> but definitely one day one day I'd like to get there my wife really wants to go to England because that's where her family's from so we figured we could kind of do a twofer trip and hit Ireland on the way and hit the whole uh, the whole islands there anyways let me get back in the story I'm talking about non-D&D &D stuff here um, so Mercy and them creep up Mercy's sneaky and she's wearing armor and they're all well armored and well geared with weapons. All of these NPCs. Uh, the young lady who played Mercy made it adamantly clear that she wanted to make sure that a lot of the money and resources were to start making, especially after the Oramon incident, 
Because there was about a month between that storyline and this one, month and a half, where she had gone to visit her fiancé at the time in Canada. Um, so we did a lot of chatting online. We didn't play for about, I want to say it was like six or eight weeks. Um, but we did a lot of what we called upkeep. We'd still get on the phone, all of us that were playing, or we'd get on Skype, and we'd talk about, here's what's going on. Here's what I'm setting up. Here's what I want built in Serenity. Artemis, here's what I want going on in the tower. Darsh, here's what's going on in my islands. Dandy, here's what Michael and I are setting up. So it was a lot of that, what we just called upkeep. Even though it was Darsh, we called it Serenity upkeep. And that's when we get in there, and we wouldn't be playing as much as literally talking about, I'm going to spend money, I want to build this. I would like my people to have this. Can that happen? No, yes, why? What do I have to do to make it happen? Um, so that stuff is, for a lot of people, the not fun part of D&D. Uh, but we actually really enjoyed that. We liked the whole designing... I want this, the color schemes, you know what I mean? Uh, this is how big I want a garden. This is what I want in it. I want a fountain that looks like this. We're going to have a statue of a god that looks like this. Uh, we really, really started to design the city of Serenity. I'm going to make a mark. I'm going to make a market square with a fountain in it. We're going to have an area for a marketplace. Here's how the buildings are going to be lined up because people coming in to want to build a building are given basic, given or sold a piece of land specifically because they wanted to have a business section, residential, that kind of stuff. Um, so that was a lot of fun upkeep for us. And you don't see a lot of that here. Uh, but when I start doing the behind the dice, um, podcast in January, we're going to get into some of that as well. Some of the actual city building for high level characters when they're actually trying to build a permanent home, uh, what they're looking for and ways that you can kind of set that stuff up, uh, and challenge your characters in a way that's not normal D&D. And I've had pretty good success with that. I'm going to say you've been perfect, but I've had pretty good success with, with doing that. And that's also a really fun thing if your group can't get together. Somebody has a problem and can't be there. It's a fun way to still do D&D stuff without playing an adventure. Because you can just talk with these people about what they're doing between. And you can catch up with that other person on their convenience. So that way when it comes time to play, that stuff's already something everybody knows. And you get to move into the fun D&D adventure dungeon crawling stuff. Um, so I do try to have a little bit of that between every chapter that I write. Uh, so we can have time to develop that. Uh, Laird is a Scottish version of a Lord landowner. You can just go in. Oh yeah, I, saw, I see that pops up all the time on my uh, Facebook as, a, as an ad that you can do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I see that pop up. No, I don't do that. How to rocket jump in TF2. I don't know what TF2 is. I apologize. You're fine, Bragg. I, I don't know what that is. So unfortunately, I'm, I'm not really going to be able to help you there. I'm sorry. Uh, if anybody else knows what TF is and knows this question, definitely throw an answer out there. <laughs> I just don't know what that is. Um, okay. So Mercy has her horn. That was made for her. She specifically wanted a kind of horn that she can carry. Oh, Team Fortress 2. I don't know anything about that either. Never played or touched that, so I still wouldn't be, <laughs> wouldn't be able to help. I'm sorry. She's got her horn. It's very loud. She won one made. It's made from a ram, and it's actually kind of curved and such. She likes it. She, had it. she takes it whenever she's in Serenity around. Uh, not when she's on adventuring, because she's not going to blow it in the middle of a dungeon. No one's going to come help. Um, but yeah, she had a... Um, and she does that. Once they're ready to go, Mercy does that. She calls that. And everybody starts charging in. They were successful in catching the ogres by surprise. Um, with all the movements and all the extra care they took, no one was noticed. And Mercy and the majority of, the, of, of her knights um, and soldiers go rushing in to take on what were 11 ogres still inside the circle. And there were two that are outside. 
So we're going to do those two first. So Dandy and Michael, Dandy had positioned herself and had been just kind of hanging on that tree, hoping he didn't move, go to relieve himself or something. And finally the horn blew and Dandy can see the other ogres who's laying down. His eyes pop open as she comes in with her long knife and just stabs the other ogre clear in the jugular in the neck. Um, their skin is tough. So she has a very sharp knives, of course, but still she had to roll to make sure that she could succeed. And she did succeed in, in getting a major artery and the dude starts bleeding out. But that's not going to kill an ogre right out. Um, it's, it is going to make him angry. The other one, when his eyes pop open, is staring directly at Dandy. So, a couple things happen. Michael comes running in with the other knights, um, but that ogre on the ground laying down who sees Dandy rolled initiative higher, which means he gets to go first. And his hand was resting on a club, and he just swings it at the tree. Um, Dandy has a moment to react, because her, her attack went first. Her attack went before initiative was rolled. In case for you playing D&D, you roll to see who goes first in a run. She was able to make her surprise attack outside of that. Then it happened. Um, and he got to go first. Her, she was given a chance to react. She can't... This is a, Basically, for, she's hanging on a tree with another tree being swung at her. Um, there's no blocking this. Um, so she can stay there and continue trying to stab at the ogre and get lumped with a log or do something different. And she decided to just let go um, and fall, which she has. She was able to make a tumbling skill, so she didn't really hurt herself uh, at all falling, and she was able to miss getting hit by the tree. But the damage done to that ogre was not as deep as it would have been had she been able to make a couple more attacks before he could gain himself. So now Michael and Dandy are in there, and Michael gets in before the one that was laying down can stand up, and this combat begins. So I have two sets of combats going on at the same time. And Dandy, Michael, and a few knights are dealing with these two ogres. Everybody else is in the clearing fighting those. Um, Lars and Wade are both very good archers. Um, Lars, if I remember correctly, is by far the better archer. Um, he's primarily an archer when possible, but he can fight in melee. Uh, whereas Wade is... He usually travels with two like really big dogs... Uh, different things. He's an animal trainer and, and he, he works with the animals. But in this situation he did not. And he's also using ranged attacks. As are some of the knights uh, who are running in with crossbows and such. Firing off shots and then dropping. Mercy does not have a group of archers in her command that she would bring with her. She does have some that are training for that back in Serenity. Um, but she does not bring them on this type of an attack. So everybody has their crossbows. They, everybody shoots their one time when they can. And they basically drop the crossbows and then keep going. We'll pick those up later. No time to reload a crossbow. That takes a while. So they fire up their shots and everybody's come running in. And a lot of them are, are pretty good. They have the moment to, you know, the horn blows, everybody fires and people go running in. The second wave who didn't fire, who was behind them, come in and are shooting over them and then so on and so forth. Uh, so they managed to do a decent amount of damage. None of the ogres die, but they definitely get their attention um, and do some damage ahead of time. So Mercy is in there and she's attacking, of course. She's got her morning star and a shield, is what her she normally does. And like normal, even though she gets lazy with it. I'm not going to lie. Mercy gets lazy. Her morning star is on her belt, and she teleports it to her hand and charges in. And that's the thing that she's always did. doesn't matter if it was sitting on the table next to her. She'll teleport it to her hand. It became a running thing. Uh, she just got too lazy to, to get it out manually. Um, but that was her thing. Um, 
so they're they're charging in uh, and they're doing this, this attack and overall their plans worked out well um, the ogres in the clearing were very quickly cut down um, the only knight to get any form of injury was Devin uh, got uh, hit by a club pretty hard that knocked him out, uh, and it popped his shoulder out, um, but he didn't, you know, he's bruised up and swollen, but he's not, like, permanent damage or anything, no real hardcore broken bones, maybe a sprain or something like that, um, and then there's some small cuts and scratches on some of the other warriors that were there, who at this point, warriors don't have names, some of them get names later as they, uh, rank up, but at right now, they're just warriors 1 through 45, uh, Mercy didn't take a hit, but boy, did she deliver them. She actually rolled at least two natural 20s in that fight um, and killed one completely and knocked one out, uh, which, again, you know, Mercy's not evil, but she's also not stupid. They just slid it. I mean, you know, I mean, all right, you can tie it up. And, what are you going to do with an ogre? Um, and that's a thing. And, and, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, that's kind of dark and things. Well, you, you think of the times you live in. You can't just let it go. Never come back again if I just killed all of your whole family and all your friends. You just can't do that. So they, they, they snip it. They're successful. Michael and Dandy, a little bit harder. Two of the knights with them died. Or two of the guards, I'm sorry. The, the warriors, the soldiers with them died to the ogres uh, before Dandy and Michael were able to put them down. Dandy and Michael were basically fighting the one that had the stab in the jugular. Well, the other five knights were attacking the other one. And they did well, and they managed to get it pretty much whittled down before two of them died. Um, but Danny and Michael got theirs down and then came in to help, but it was too late to save those two. Danny and Michael with the other three were able to take out that ogre. The whole thing lasted maybe 10 to 12 minutes in like their real lifetime, not our time, but in rounds, if you will. Um, it was very quick and over. Um, but they were successful in, in, in killing all of the ogres. Um, and some of the stuff that was taken, they're going to be able to return. Most of it's destroyed. They're not going to drag back the cows at this point. You know, I mean, it's, nobody wants a cow that an ogre's been chewing on. Um, so they're, they're not going to do much with that. But they do find a few miscellaneous items of value. And one thing that uh, Mercy found was a magic ring. Um, which she decides to take back with her. She, she, magic stuff. The characters okay, takes the ring. It's the only thing in magic they find. It was way too small for one of the ogres, but the ogre had it um, looped through his nose. So it's sticky and nasty, uh, but she's able to find it, and, and she can tell by its quality that it's either valuable or magical. Um, and she decides to take it back and see if somebody can identify it for her. Um, so there's that. This all done, they gather up their dead and their injured, you know, bandage up who needs to be, get everybody slowly making their way back to the horses. Um, then once they're back there, that's fine. Nobody was attacked the horses. Everybody mounts up and makes their way back to Oakleaf. Upon returning to Oakleaf, there have been no f further issues there. Uh, Miyasha and the clerics have taken care of most everybody, and at that point, immediately rush in to start dealing with the uh, injured warriors and knights. And Miyasha is the one in charge of putting Devin's shoulder back in. And he's, he's saying, do it, do it, kind of thing. And if you'll remember, Miyasha is huge. She's like an in what you call the Amazonians. She's, she's like seven feet tall. She's a very, very, and not like, fat, she's just a very large, muscular person. So she's thinking, puts his hand, her hand on his back and says, 
just pops it in. There's no bracing. She's just very strong for her size. And as soon as that happens, her and another cleric start healing on it because he about passes out because I don't care how trained you are, that hurts. Unless you're Mel Gibson and insane in a, in a movie. Not like real Mel Gibson. He's just regular insane. But I'm not going to... Mel Gibson characters uh, is insane and he smacks it back in himself. That's a good scene. I like that. Okay, so um, that happens. They get the healing up. Um, Miyasha leaves two clerics in the village to help tend with some of the people who were more seriously injured who will need some assistance over the next week or so. Um, most towns have a very small building that is a temple or acts as a temple for Serenity. Uh, Serenity pays for it, pays for it upkeep, always has at least one or two Templars there. This is what the this one thing that Artemis and her people do. Uh, they put them in every town. Some already have a temple, and that's good. There's usually a cleric there or two, depending. There's not usually a whole lot. Um, but in this situation, several are going to stay there at that temple, helping out the one that was there, uh, who's already trying to take care of things, was a cleric of healing. Uh, they're going to stay with them and help out. Miyasha and the rest are going to go back home. And these type of little adventures, these little, what we call skirmishes, um, there is, happen several times between adventures or even during adventures. I want to make these characters, you know, have a regular, this, this is your regular life. When you're not out saving the world, you're protecting your people. So I did a couple skirmishes like this as this beginning adventure started. That was the main one. Um, I'm not going to do any of the other ones, but I want to give a taste of some of the things that Mercy is now in charge of in Serenity. It's not just protecting her house. It's protecting the homes of everybody else that she is under her protection. Right? Um, so they say goodbye to Meg and they, the, the mayor, and then they leave. Um, uh, so yeah, they make their way back to Serenity. No real issues between then and that. Uh, they get back. Time moves on. A good couple of weeks go by. And that's when we start to move into the next section of the story. Um, at this point... Let's see where I'm going to grab where we are here. Ba -ba 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 -ba. Got it. Okay. So, I mentioned there was one other village that was further away. Okay? Um, and that village is... Let me grab it here. Willowwind. So Willowwind is the furthest village from Serenity. It actually is along the edge of the forest. The forest goes north and then curves up, and they're a little bit up and around. This is a smaller town, not quite as small as Oakleaf because of, they keep having bad stuff happen. But it's a, it's a decent-sized town that originally started as just a hub for um, fur traders, skinners, hunters uh, from some of the other villages to get up into the woods and from lands that used to exist before the merge on the other side of that. So um, it's, it's, it's a, it was a town of very rough and gruff folk who were living on the border of that country's land, skins and such, uh, skinning, hunting animals and things, which has now kind of evolved into an actual town, but still has that gruffness about it. They are the one town that was the most resistant to becoming part of Serenity. After years of having to deal with previous lords and kings and emperors before the merge. They've always been on the outskirts, and every so often somebody comes in and tries to take them over, and they're never a big fan of that. So they have been the most resistant to serenity. At the same time, they have been the most accepting of Artemis. It is a very religious group of people. Uh, they live on the fringe. 
definitely praying to the gods for their life and such. This is a very big town of religious folks um, who, for them, Artemis is like, here's an elven cleric of, you know, walks in. To them, that's like staring at the face of God. You know, it's, this is, that's high business. You know, they don't normally find an elf out there anyways. This area was almost all humans back before the merge, so rarely did they come across other races. Um, but Artemis, who has visited once early on, just, they were enraptured with her. And so it is through Artemis that Serenity has been making their headway and has agreed to join on with Serenity and the other villages. Treaty-wise, we're all going to be part of this. Um, but they do not want anyone from Serenity, guard-wise, to patrol their lands. They're like, we're going to take care of our own stuff. But for trade and friendship and so on and so forth, you know, and major issues, you'll come help. Major issues will fall in line. Things like that. Um, that was won over when Artemis agreed to build a temple in that town. And not a little one. They're building a good-sized temple for that town. And she's going to leave several clerics and Templars there. That they were totally fine with. And it's through that that Mercy was able to kind of get her foot in the door and be like, well, you know, Artemis is my best friend. And all this is going on, you know. But I'm here to help as well. She's with Serenity. We're kind of a team here. And people, most people just see it that way. Uh, but they're all like, okay with Mercy. But they love Artemis. So after many months, that temple is about to be finished here within the next couple of weeks. Um, as has happened in any temple or something of that nature, there's going to be a ceremony for these folks to basically christen it, for better lack of a word, to make it, hey, this is going to be... It officially opens. And Artemis... There's a couple of clerics there that have been overseeing the building and things. Um, and Artemis paid for it all. But Artemis has always been under the... She is going to go there to basically... Announce the opening of the temple, if you will. She's going to be there. It's going to be a ceremony. She's going to give the open prayer. She's going to bless it. Um, and this is a big deal. This is the first time she will have come to the town since Seraph was born. Because everybody knows that since Seraph was born, Artemis doesn't travel as much because now she's got a baby. Um, and I'm going to inter inter interrupt myself for just a moment to throw this. The whole, oh, she has a baby and she's not married. None of that crap matters. I don't play any of that crap. That's stupidity. Well, I'm going to say there aren't some people who <gasps> about that kind of thing. Artemis is a very high rank, rank cleric. For all anybody else who was divine intervention. You know, they, they, most of them don't question Artemis because again, she's seen as such a positive, helping, healing, loving person who's helping settle the lands with serenity. Just like nobody has a problem with mercy being in charge and a bunch of dudes being under. Mercy is very capable and these dudes who are, who are following her know that. Um, so there's never been an issue with either one of them being an unmarried mother or a queen without a king. That stuff did not matter, and we, we were very, uh, it was very important to us that we stressed that. Um, and I'm not going to say there, you know, for story purposes, maybe down the road someone may have a problem, but majority of people do not. It's come as accepted. These are people who have newly moved to this land and have brought such wealth and expansion and protection to these people. Uh, they're giddy. They love it, and they have no problem with that at all. Um, but definitely, Artemis is going to be coming. It'll be the first real trip she's taken since Seraph was born. And she will be taking Seraph on the trip. She's just not going to leave him at home for a week. She, the thought of leaving him alone, just not acceptable. Um, this means that Lucas has a job to do. 
Lucas has to prepare for this trip. He is in charge of the protection of the temple, but primarily he considers himself the charge of Artemis and now her son. Um, so Templars, because he's leaving and so is Artemis, it's also important to make sure that the temple itself is protected. So working with Mercy, he agrees we are not going to take a huge amount of Templars, but Mercy's going to be coming with a large amount of guard, which has increased since the ogre issue. They're bringing more than they planned on. These ones are not going to be coming all the way into town. They're going to kind of stay on the outskirts because they don't want to give the impression now we're, we're christening this temple and here's 50 people that are coming in to take over. I, they didn't want to do any of that. But they do want them for the, for the back and forth just in case there's issue. Um, so it takes several weeks to plan this. Um, and to prepare to get ready to go. As we do this, we're moving a little bit more into spring. It's warming up a little bit. Uh, the nights can still be a bit chilly, but overall, it's, it's got to a comfortable time of year. Um, and they are uh, all prepping up for this journey. Um, I apologize. You're going to have to give me one second. I have to grab a drink. I'll be right back. My throat's getting dry. Right back. I'm back. Sorry about that. Needed a frosty beverage. I drank all mine very quickly. Um, so, yeah. So, this is where everybody uh, is going. Now, Mercy and Artemis are both going. They are taking um, Michael and Dandy, of course. Something like this. A chance to travel. They're going to go as well. Uh, Mike, Michael and Dandy are also accepted in most villages. There's no illusion of what they do. People know that they hunt undead and that undead, then they've not had any problems with undead around here. So most people assume Danny and Michael are doing a good job, where in reality, there just hasn't been an undead threat. Most of that they have to travel to. It's way worse down around Paxwall in the Southern Kingdoms. Um, there's even rumors that they went back to an Egyptian, evil Egyptian elven pyramid at one point and finished cleaning that out with a group of other hunters. Uh, but that's a story for another time. Oh, that's so much better. Thank you, guys. All right. So, <laughs> the trip begins. Hello, Patches. Don't step on my book. I'm reading. The journey northeast is very pleasant. The caravan moves at a comfortable pace, enjoying the weather in each other's company. At night, the camp is filled with laughter and mirth, though it is very well guarded by both Serenity, Serenity Military and the Temple Guard. It takes a little less than four days to reach Willowind, and the characters are very well received and treated as celebrities. People, whether they want Mercy or not, still know she's the equivalent of a queen in this area, or at least a lord. Um, and the go-between on a lot of these towns is Seamus and Quan. Uh, Seamus and Quan and Ulrich are the ones that a lot of times deal with the town leaders themselves. So all three of them are here. Quan had returned, as had Seamus, from what they were working on. Sad they missed the ogre fight. But they fought with them so many times, I wanted to bring in some of the new NPCs, which is kind of why I shifted it up like that. Uh, but Ulrich and Seamus and Quan are all part of this caravan as well. Uh, Lucas, not Lucas, Lucas is there for as well as um, 
several other Templars and clerics. Miyasha did not come. She's looking over the temple while they're gone. And Kelvin had left Serenity temporarily once he learned about Kendertown because he wanted to go up there and visit it as well um, and see if there were any other Kender clerics that he could bring back, much to the pleasure of Artemis and the ungodly horror of Miyasha. <laughs> um, so he had traveled to, uh, to you know, also check on them and bring his clerical magic to them if they need it. So again, he's a cleric of uh, bounty and harvest. So growing a food, you know, Kenders could be struggling. They're not normally farmers. They can, they can take care of themselves, but he, he worries about his people after the winter and wants to make sure that they're okay. So he's going to go check. He's not from there specifically, but him and Dandy talked about it quite extensively after she returned. So he knows where it is. And he went on a quest by himself. He doesn't need guards or Templars, even though Artemis offered to send some, uh, much to the horror of Lucas and the potential guards. Uh, but he's like, no, no, I'm better by my own. Besides, I'll be traveling through the forest, and there's no safer place for a cleric who can control vegetation. He's <laughs> going through the forest. And he's a kender, so he's sneaky and quiet. Um, so when they arrive, uh, they get to meet the mayor, uh, whose name is Travis, and that's it. He doesn't have another name. He just goes by Travis. And he is a big bear of a man. Same size as Seamus, but just twice as thick. Got a bit of a belly on him now, though, when he was younger and he first became mayor, not so much. Uh, he's been a very experienced hunter. Um, there's been several times over the last decade or so that he uh, has single-handedly have to go and deal with wolves and things and so on as the town was still growing. Because um, the town itself is still only 20 to 30 years old. And for the first 10 years, there were no leaders. It was just huts and sheds, that tents that people kind of stayed at between the, the going into the forest for hunting for pelts and skins and things of that nature, as well as some people would come there to do some lumbering and logging and such. Um, this was more of just a was a ramshackle place for, for protecting each other in between those situations, um, which eventually spawned into a town. So of all the towns, it's the most odd-looking one, just because there's not a lot of... There's streets and such now, but it's, you know, it's all very haphazardly built. The temple is built on the edge of town, uh, what, the end of what is the only real main street going through, um, and it's, it's the largest building here. Um, and... People show up and Travis is, you know, shaking the hands. He knows everybody. He's cordial. They're not, they don't hate Serenity. And I want to stress that because I had to make it clear to them. They don't hate them and want nothing to do with them. They just want to make it clear that we're our own people and we don't need you telling us what to do. Definitely welcome here. We're definitely welcoming trades because, again, there's still a large part of their community is based on uh, hunting and trapping and even more so with logging, with um, Serenity growing. Uh, they found a lot of money in both the skins and uh, logging and such uh, to supply to um, all the new people in towns. There's been a large amount of that. And a lot of the leather and such that they bring in that they cure themselves in Willowind is very well sought after in the other towns. So Serenity has been a big boon to their trade. So they, they also don't want to make Serenity angry, but they just want to be clear their own people. So he's very cordial. But... Literally, Artemis shows up and hops off her horse and just the whole crowd hits their knee. Like, this is a very religious town. I cannot stress that enough. Um, and Artemis in her elven beauty, she's very attractive, had very high charisma. Um, and she has Seraph in like a sling type thing that she's wearing, tucked in, hops down, and she's helped down. Um, and of course, he immediately steps up to help her. And he's, he's like, he's an older guy. He's like his like early, late 50s, early 60s, but uh, he doesn't get into the woods now. He just spends time you know, kind of leading the town. Um, still a huge dude, 
standing up is almost the same height as Artemis on her horse. <laughs> she doesn't have a huge horse, and she's historically smart. Uh, but he's like, please allow me. And to him, he's like, this is the best honor ever, and helps her down. And, and he's talking about the town and how happy they are to have them there, and so on and so forth. And the ceremony is going to be the next day. Um, that there, He also explains that there had been some discussion and uh, actual physical violence uh, when it came to who got to have Artemis uh, stay at their house. Um, and he, as the, as the mayor and the biggest dude in town, made it quite clear that, as he honestly does have the nicest house, that uh, both uh, the baby and Artemis and Mercy will be staying in his home, and he's going to go camp basically in the backyard in his old tent. He's like, this is your place, and I understand you want Mercy there, and the Templars can stay around it as well, but he's like, my house is the nicest one here. Nobody could argue that. And it's the largest, gives them the most room. And big fireplace, already got the wood in there, the baby will be nice and warm, and people grumbled, but they're like, okay, no, that's how it'll work. You're the mayor, that's a perk of being mayor. Which may have inspired people to run for office in the future. <laughs> I like the shirt, it reminds me of the 24-hour stream for the kids. Yeah, that was the one I wore, that was the last time I wore it, too. I forgot about that, I opened up my closet today, I'm like, I haven't worn that shirt in forever. It was good memories, good times with great people. I love you guys. Alright, so... Oh, it's already 9.30. This is going well. Um, so they go in. Artemis is very shy by this type of thing. Mercy takes it as a good, uh, a good sign because, again, she's also been invited to stay there. Not like, you can camp, you can't stay with her. You know, like anyone. Lucas is also staying in there, and there's not a person in the world who's going to change that. Um, Lucas is very got the whole big shoulder plate mails and such, and the tabard of, of the healing god, and the symbol of serenity on holding his cape. Uh, got the, the serenity temple, which has its own symbol, uh, which I don't have either. I need to track that down. It's in a box somewhere. But the, you know, it's kind of that clasp, that pin that holds his cape that all the knights and templars wear, the mark of the temple, regardless of the color of your tabard. And the tabard that they wear very often is going to be the, the, the god they worship, because templars themselves usually are dedicated to a specific god. And Templar is also a kit that um, a warrior can play um, in my, my Merge Worlds D&D. T Templar is a kit, and it's normally someone who is uh, devoted to the church, but not, but not like, hey, I want to heal people. It's I want to kill people to protect the heal people, or you know, I want to, you know, help go out and save the world. And then I have, I, I, this cleric needs to go out and travel across the land. I will protect them to bring the word of the gods to people. My skill is in my physical, but I also want to dedicate my life to the gods. So when someone becomes a Templar, much like a cleric, they choose a god to dedicate themselves to, um, and. They live their life uh, celebrating and worshipping them as well. There are some perks of that kit and some negatives as well because uh, very often the weapons that you can use um, will be determined by that as well because Artemis and Lucas both worship a god of healing. Um, Lucas avoids bladed weapons as much as possible. In the middle of a fight, if he has to, he'll pick up a sword. He'll do that. But he tries not to if he can help it. Uh, so he has on, you know, he's got morning stars, maces. He's got a lot of that type of blunt stuff as much as possible. Oh, he fell asleep? <laughs> no problem, Mystique. It's been a busy week for a lot of us. You get you some rest and we'll see you tomorrow. No worries at all. <laughs> all right, so... Just trying to give it a lot of times he'll have like the, the long spears, which are still pointy, but it's not quite a slashy weapon. Uh, but, you know, 
It's kind of how he rolls. And so they, you know, just kind of give you a feel for how Lucas is done. Because now he's head of, he was a, a long-term Templar, but now he's head of the Templars in the temple. Regardless of what God is worshipped, they all are under Lucas and such. Although, um, like I said, they, they do very often, are like, okay, you're in charge of protecting this section where the clerics of whoever worship, and that's who you protect and things. But for overall, the protection of the temple as a whole, everyone is under Lucas, and there's no question about that. Um, so let's see here. So um, while they're there that evening, the mayor is in the house, and he has uh, many people have donated food to feed everybody. Like they've been just, even for the, in the wars and the nights and such. Uh, Mercy and Dandy, uh, or sorry, Dandy and Michael um, have been offered a home as well out of courtesy, uh, but they've decided though they're going to they're going to stay with a lot of the troops who are camping outside the village, or oh I'm sorry no yeah they're staying in the village and some of the high ranking clerics are actually um, there is a small inn there that place is pretty packed by people who came because some some of the people from other villages has come as well because the villages have been together a long time so you'll see you know someone who represents Moonbrook here someone from Oakleaf and some of them traveled with. Uh, Mercy and them from Serenity, and some came on their own. Um, so there is a small inn, but it's packed. And a lot of people, that's where the, a lot of the knights and people who aren't protecting at the time are in there bringing business and buying and shopping here. And Mercy made sure that everybody chosen for this is someone who had a little bit extra scratch given to them because she wants them to spend money while they're there. Making it clear, don't cause trouble, don't get drunk, but you see something you like, man, you buy it. It's a bonus you've been chosen for this mission here's a monetary bonus up front because again she wants to leave that hey when 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 groups from serenity come to the town it's a financial boon it's something to look forward to and try to give off that type of an aura when when whenever she has to send people there and very often when um any of the knights her knights like uh, Seamus and them go to a town they make a point of buying souvenirs to bring home and also bringing back gifts for mercy and such uh, made by different people who wish that because that happens too um, so the mayor and Mer Mercy uh, sit down with Ulrich and there's some talk and such and they're figuring out exactly okay we are going you know their treaty stuff that's all being hammered down here as well um paperwork and such, but it's the, hey, you know, if Oromon attacks, we can count on you to come help. You know, somebody comes over here and attacks, you send the word, I'll bring my whole freaking army over and we'll help. We're not going to leave people here without your permission. The one small change to that that happens here with the recent ogre attack, the mayor has decided that he is going to allow um, Mercy to have a patrol, uh, at least in their area. Um, not to come, they're welcome to come into town to shop, eat, or stay, but he doesn't want them coming in to occupy the city. And Mercy's fine with that. And as such, she was hoping that was something she was going to bring to the table as well. So they, some of the people they brought with them are specifically here for that. If not, they're income. So half of the knights that they have are going to be setting up uh, a small outpost and such, which they're going to pay the locals to build, where they can start have like an outpost themselves that they can keep guards at. Why are you playing with my pen? These kitties are just attracted to pens and soda cap lids. Patches just likes to tap it and then tap it back. She's so cute. You're cute, baby. I love you. Okay. So, sorry. Kid, had a kitty aside there. Um, so all that goes through very, very well. Mercy's very happy because she wants these people to be protected. She doesn't want to take them over or rule them. She wants to make sure everybody's okay and these are her neighbors and she worries about that. Mercy's good people. Um, let's see. 
So the next day is the actual celebration, and, and everybody's coming. There are some farms and such that have popped up around. Not everybody's a, a you know, roughneck in this area, but the, the everybody's come into town to celebrate the temple. Um, people are dressed in their finest and things, and Artemis has prepared a, uh, a speech, and uh, Mercy's also going to say a few words. Um, and the mayor, who's going to speak first and introduce them, he gets to introduce Artemis, which he's very excited about. Um, and he's met Lucas before, and he respects Lucas, because Lucas is the guy who protects the lady he idolizes the most. So Lucas is also a minor celebrity here. And some of the clerics and Templars that they brought will be staying at this temple now that it becomes fully operational. <laughs> um uh, most of them are relatively low-level clerics or mid-level, but uh, are, are going to definitely, a, a good difference of light, healing, so on and so forth, that'll be able to give them the support they need in this area. Because again, this is the town furthest away from Serenity. In a pinch, it's going to be the hardest one to get to. Uh, so making sure they've got a good group of clerics that can help uh, is important business. Okay. Um, Art during Artemis's speech... Everybody just sits there in like wide-eyed wonder. And uh, she actually sat down and uh, Mercy and Devin actually helped her write it. Because that Artemis, uh, this one thing, she's good at teaching people, but something like this actually makes her a little bit uncomfortable. It's not something she's done much. Kitties, I love you. You've got to give me some space right now. Uh, <laughs> got three kitties all around me. But uh, it's one of those things where it's like, hey, she wanted it to be very nice. And Devin is a very good, he's, he's the new knight who is the um, smart guy. You know, he's their, their knowledgeable guy, their book smart, the older of the guy. And they sat down and helped write some stuff. Me, do that kind of brainstorming. <laughs> All the kitty butts, Teresa. <laughs> um, so yeah, she's giving her speech and it's about 10 minutes long talking about, you know, the gods looking down and praising this and, and looking down on the temple. And she's literally casting a spell of blessing after that. So when she comes to bless the temple, that's a legit thing. Many spells have already been cast, don't get me wrong, during the building and such, sanctifying the grounds before it began and things of that nature, uh, to what makes this Holy Land. Holy Land just doesn't pop up for the fun of it. It takes some work. Um, but they're working on that. They've been doing getting that taken care of. So with her final spell, basically it's going to uh, light the brazier. There's a big brazier on the front and the center that will be lit, that will always be light, to symbolize the light and so on and so forth. Because the, the light is the big god. That's the one that ever, goddess. Everybody worships the light. People can definitely worship everybody else under the light too. But the light is the big god. And it doesn't matter that Artemis is a god, a cleric of healing. She still serves the light. All the other gods serve the light one way or another. Under the good gods. Neutral and evil have their own business. During this, after the thing is done, there's a celebration, there's a big feast, it's held in the market square, the weather is beautiful, plenty of food is brought in, uh, Mercy is, gets to sit at a table, and a lot of people come up and are delivering gifts and things, uh, and many things are given to both her and Sarah, from uh, toys that have been made from leather and such, and uh, little wooden swords that are obviously something you can't play with now, but are very well carved, because this is a crafty town. You know, these are people that live on this stuff. Um, this is what their businesses are. So a lot of it is very well done, but the one that she was genuinely most surprised and excited about um, is when, from the village as a whole, Travis, the mayor, presented both her and Seraph with this beautiful coat, long, almost like a long coat robe made out of white fox skins. White fox 
are very rare in this area, and they had anybody who could catch one in this entire area was donating them to make this, and it's a matching one for the baby as well. And the baby, it's more like a blanket with armholes that he can just sit in, but it will keep him very warm, and it's a little big on him specifically, so it'll last a while. And Artemis was just horrendously touched by that and everybody single tear and everybody's like oh we hit it we nailed this like they're so excited that she had that effect um and she thanked everybody and so on and so forth um so you know that goes on they stay for three days of celebration or the first day of celebration second day semi-celebration uh but during that second day and third day artemis is literally going in overseeing the final product making sure that everything is set up the way it was giving some standing orders to the clerics letting them know okay you know, and they've talked about this before, but she's reiterating it, okay? You'll be in charge of having services every Sunday. Probably going to be the one town that has the highest amount of people show up for services. So, you know, the the cleric of the light, who's, the, who's an older gentleman, he's balding on most of the top with a little bit of a ponytail on the back. It looks very funny. Uh, he, uh, <laughs> it's like half balding. Uh, I, remember, I, I can't remember what name I gave him, but I, I, I remember that. He was like half balding on one side with a ponytail. And, uh... He's an older gentleman, and he's the guy who's going to be giving the sermons every week. Um, and so he's, he's good at that. That's something he has skill in, and, and uh, Artemis just makes sure that everybody's set up. Um, they're also going to be looking for potential recruits, you know, kind of like she found Tevin back on the quest with, uh, with Draven and such. If there's someone who shows interest or shows skills in worshiping of, of clerics, then definitely bring them in. Of course, if it's a child, make sure you're not sneaking them in from the parents. In a town like this, most parents would probably be fine with it. But, you know, just in general. And then, you know, if there's someone that really wants to come into the fold, regardless of where their, their, uh, their faith goes, which God and so on, uh, definitely they can send uh, word to Mercy. And if there's a cleric of that type that's not in... Willowin, they can send one out and make arrangements because they definitely want to grow that as well, not for world domination, but to be able to supply more health and protection for the people. So I know that a lot of this stuff that I've been talking about tonight has been probably a little on the boring side, and I, and I apologize for that. This is, this is the intro stuff of the chapter, the stuff I have to get in, stuff that's going to matter way more as we move along into this and we develop Serenity, especially for any of you guys who are interested in eventually playing D&D in this. These are places you could very well go. So some of these names in the uh, political situations could really affect how you play D&D with us in the new year. So um, I'm, as we go on, I'm going to be developing and giving a little bit more information on Serenity specifically and Paxawal in the situations that they're there, uh, just to kind of fill you guys in on some of that stuff. But finally, after several days, she's done setting up her temple hierarchy and everything is going well. It is time for them to head back home. Um, and like I said, they're leaving about half their guard here because they're, they're going to be patrolling and a lot of the Templars and guards are there. Um, so it's a, a smaller group on the way back, but it's not a problem. There's still a good selection of guards. Remember I said they left some outside the village, right? And Lucas is there, and Mercy's there. So, I mean, Dandy, Michael, Ulrich, half the knights. I mean, the, this is a, it's not a dangerous situation. Because um, when, when I told the players, hey, half your people aren't here anymore, they're like, we're going to get attacked. I'm like, no, listen, you're still armed to the teeth. Calm down. <laughs> but, you know, for, you're also traveling through your lands at this point, her, her lands, which is very safe. Other than that one ogre attack, there haven't been major issues. There's been no war between the villages or anything and no signs of Ormond. So things look good in that regard. So they start traveling back. And if you remember, I said it takes about four days to get there. It's going to take about four days to get back. On the third night, uh, things in camp are much the same as they have been every other night. 
After a dinner of fresh rabbit and wine, everyone is gathered around the fire. They were provided a large amount of rabbit meat to take back with them, because and meat and things, so they're eating some of it on the way back before it goes bad. Uh, Dandy has, has just been delighting everyone with some knife juggling, and Michael is now recounting a tale of Dandy and his in an old temple. Everyone burst into laughter as he told how Dandy tried to catch a mummy with this bell and some string. Now, that's a callback to something you've never heard, and I'm gonna, it's, it's a funny thing, so I'm going to tell you. In the very early adventures of the original Eight Companions, um, these guys. You'll remember that they went, um, there was a town that they were trying to rescue the kidnapped children. One of the very first quests, and it turns out to be one of the tests Zoltan was doing to see if they were the right people to start searching out the artifacts. Back in the very beginning of the, the, the second or third episode of Merge Worlds was this. On their way back home with the kids, they were going through a, a, mi a minus up, and there was a section I kind of left out, um, but they ended up going into a room uh, where there was a Medusa. And it was a little overpowered for their level, and it was meant to be. They weren't meant to fight it. But these players were... All of them knew. None of them had played D&D before I taught them how to play. And while they did very well, in this situation, they somehow fell under the assumption that they were supposed to fight it. So they're in a, a room that looks like an old underground, it's a cavern, and there's the pillars, and there's statues of, you know, frozen people all over the place, and some of them look like they were actually carved statues, it's hard to tell the difference, um, but they were so afraid of seeing Medusa that they're trying to use mirrors and reflections, and most of them were bumbling around and got tripped or whatever, or knocking themselves, like so many things, they hurt themselves more than they did anything else, and it turned out that the Medusa was a male Medusa who's not evil, uh, and just was waiting for them to leave, and has been watching them from on high being idiots. And they kept trying to set traps, and Dandy and Willow, you remember Willow was the elven druid, Willow and Dandy were like the last two that hadn't fallen into some type of trap or accident. Uh, because, you know, Medusa, he's assuming people are going to come to try to kill him. Because he's a Medusa, people do that. But he's not really, he wasn't really a bad guy. Um... He was originally going to be a bad guy, and I realized I outclassed him, so I made him a friendly one instead. But Willow and Dandy decided that if they saw him, they would die, so they had to have a way to protect themselves. So they decided to wear blindfolds and still look for him. And prepare for battle. Not go searching for him, but to be ready to fight him. And so they had this idea of taking strings and tying it between the statues so they were inside of it, and putting bells on the string so that if the Medusa or whatever, because they assumed it was Medusa, they hadn't seen him yet, and they were right. Um, they didn't know it was a woman. Hits the bell on the string, they'll know which direction he's coming, and Dandy can start whipping her daggers blindly, because she did have some skill in that, because she's so skilled at whipping daggers. And uh, uh, she, Willow could maybe cast a spell or bonk or whatever she had to do. They knew they were not the best two for this combat. Um... And again, I don't remember everything that knocked everybody out, but I remember they were trying to do this, and then there was a noise, and it was Darsh waking up, but they didn't know that because they had blindfolds on. And they began to run in that direction, and a few rounds had gone by, and 
somehow they forgot about the string. And so they both charged to try to swing at this thing blindly, hit the string in the bell, tripped, the statues fell in, they got tangled up and it, was, it wasn't flat. They're rolling down with these statues being dragged and all your jingle, 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 all these bells, like sound like bells being hung behind a, a car after being married. Just all these bells and stuff, like a middle avalanche. And at the end of it, the Medusa's like, okay, I've got to say something or they're going to kill themselves. And uh, it became a running gag where it's like, we need some type of defense. And Danny would be like, should I get out the bell and string? And they're like, do not get out the bell and string. I do not want to see a bell and string ever again. And it became a running gag um, of that, of the adventure. There's a lot of those little running gag things and funny moments that um, for us, I haven't put some of them in here because they won't mean anything. They're part of our real lives. But that was one that was really, really funny. And the bell and string became a running gag. Even when they weren't really going to do it, they're like, should I get out the bell and string? No, mercy. We do not want a bell and string. Um, so in this one here, it's like Michael's now recounting a tale of Dandy in his own in a temple. Everyone burst laughing as he how Dandy tried to catch a mummy with the bell and some string. Well, that happened before they met Michael. Michael had know what that was, so she pulls out a bell and a string. He assumes she knows what she's doing, and much similar effects. So that was that was that was kind of. I want to go on a little bit of an aside there and say that. By the time he got to the part where several of the crew were running around screaming from the zombie hands that Dandy thought would make good pets, everyone was in tears. You can imagine that. Oh, zombie hands. I'll bring back one for everybody on the crew. Look what I got, guys. And shakes a bag and all these zombie hands land and start running around the ship. Um, that happened. Michael didn't realize it was happening, but it happened. So, Danny and Michael always have interesting stories from their hunts and things. and Very often, campfire stories are Dandy and Michael telling stuff. Uh, so again, by the time he got to the part where several of the crew were running around screaming from the zombie hands, Danny thought, okay. So in the middle of this story, he's telling a story. Everybody's laughing. I mean, there's people protecting guards and such. And Artemis, the whole baby, he's asleep, but they're trying not to wake it up. But they're all laughing and eating food and having a good time. Suddenly, <laughs> about that time, suddenly, Michael stands up. A very serious look on his face. He slowly looks around as if searching for something. What is it? asks Mercy, starting to grow concerned. Michael slowly turns back from the darkness to face his friends. As he does, they see his hair beginning to turn white, starting at the roots and, the, and quickly covering his whole head. His eyes burst into purple flames and he says, Arm yourselves. Hey, Bobby. Come here. Come on. Hang on. I got a kitty in the way. You can't... Come here. You can't walk on a keyboard. Come here. Come on down. You're good. He doesn't like to be picked up, but he's... You're okay, Bobby. I love you. All right. So he says, arm yourselves. That's all he has to say. Everybody sees him going into undead hunting mode. Everybody knows what that means. And immediately, people start grabbing weapons surrounding the... What we call the squishies. That's Artemis and babies, things that are squishy. The clerics and the mages, those are always the squishies. Uh, and that's not my term. That's quite common in D&D. Uh, stay away from the squishies. Uh, so they immediately start protecting. Lucas starts calling in the, what Templars he has to surround Artemis and completely shield her and such uh, because he definitely knows what this means. Okay, there's undead coming. Which, again, is something that's never happened around Serenity. Um... Lucas again screams for the Templars, who start surrounding and defending Artemis and what couple clerics are there. There's several clerics, but all of lower to 
tier. They're not. They're more just traveling with her. The ones that had a little bit of what you say, juice or power, stayed back at the 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 temple in Willowind. And my wife just dropped her phone again. <laughs> what well, bedroom above me? I can hear where that happens. All right, just here. Um, suddenly, camp guards, the ones that were on the outskirts, are starting to back in on her and start calling out about shapes in the darkness. And looking out, they immediately see that skeletons are coming from the darkness. Lots and lots of skeletons. Maybe well over a hundred start coming in from around towards the fire. Um, so as they're moving in, everybody's kind of backing out, preparing to fight. That's a lot of skeletons. And there's not anywhere near as much of them. Now, skeletons are relatively low to low mid-tier undead. Um, they're not like high high tier, but a lot of them are still dangerous. And bladed weapons don't do that much to them in Dungeons & Dragons. Bladed weapons only do half damage to skeletons because there's no flesh to cut, and that's what swords and axes are designed to do. Morningstar, maces, staves, uh, things of that nature are way more useful because blunt weapons do full damage. It's easy to just crunch bones. There's no flesh to get. Throwing that out there for those of you who might like to know some D&D stuff. The undead are moving in, and... Uh, Everyone, everybody's preparing to fight, and they're about to. Mercy's about to yell attack, and so on. And suddenly, all the skeletons stop. They stand at attention, like literally freeze in place, as if ready to continue at any moment. It's like they're studying them. At this point, Mercy's like. Take advantage of it. Go, and they start charging out. As soon as they get to the skeletons, the skeletons actually attack. And that's when the fight begins. And all of this is happening. And several people get injured. Uh, the Templars literally are surrounding Artemis. Now, Artemis and what few clerics she has are trying to use their ability of turn undead. We've talked about this before. A cleric can do turn undead, calling upon godly might to turn them. If they're really weak, sometimes it just blows them up. Low-level zombies and skeletons from a power clip, blow them up. If they're stronger, it might at least confuse them or cause them to wander off and not stay and fight. Um, a lot of these are skeletons. Artemis at her level should be popping them up. Should be relatively easy to do. Um, but she's having very little success. A couple of them do, but most of them are ignoring her. And the other clerics with her aren't getting much done at all. They maybe, maybe together have turned one, but they haven't blown up any. This is not normal for the type of undead that they're fighting. Michael and Dandy immediately go to work. They, Menandra's feeding information to Michael. He knows how many there are. He knows where they're coming. He's yelling things out to Mercy and Lucas. You know, 20 coming from the north. So he's yelling that out while he's in there with Menandra just obliterating skeletons. Because Menandra is just powerful, especially against weak undead. But for everyone he kills, two more are coming in. Um, Dandy has a harder time with skeletons because she's a blade user most of the time. So she's got her hoop pack out and she's using it to knock them down and squish them and stuff. But um, it's not a magical hoop pack, so it's not having a whole lot of effect. Some, she can knock bones out and trip them and so on and so forth. Again, suddenly all the skeletons stop and back up a little bit. Mercy and everybody else kind of pauses and they were like well if we, last time we ran in we got attacked instead they start grabbing what few are wounded and start pulling them back towards the clerics and tightening their ranks up uh, you quickly pull what wounded you can into your circle and then a voice can be heard in the near distance 
So these are your people, Artemis? Pitiful. I expected so much more. The skeletons, to the uh, west, part, allowing you to see the speaker. It doesn't matter, though, because immediately Artemis recognized Shastra's voice. She stands not too far away, next to what appears to be an an adult male human-sized person. You're unable to see his face or hands as it's cloaked by his hood, though, again, he's sized like a human or elf size. He's wrapped all in black, the hood's low, and his hands are kind of tucked in. Um, Artemis, you know, Michael's, you know, he, he sensed it almost as she appeared. Remember, she's powerful. She was made by Daedalus, so she's got some juice. And he noted, he, Menandra told him, but then she was there. Didn't have a lot of time to warn anybody about that. Um, so I give them a chance to do some conversation. Artemis is like, how did you survive? You know, we saw you burst into flame. And uh, she begins to say, what you saw was my clothes burn and such. But uh, father's blood flows through me as it... And like him, the sun is only a mild inconvenience to one like me. So it turns out she did not die. Um, Said that uh, after she healed and such, uh, she said, you know, father's blood running in his veins makes her strong. And then uh, at, at some point... You know, Lucas, who wasn't there the last time... Sha- that's correct. Shastra was the prophet who was turned into a, a 12 or 13-year-old vampire by Daedalus, who threw herself out the window when that was going on. Uh, Xbox, I'm sorry I gotta go sleep, Draven. Hey, no problem, man. You have yourself a great one, dude. We'll catch you later. Thank you for coming by. Um, so, that's where Shastra came from. That's correct. And Lucas is like, he's like, I wasn't there last time or else you wouldn't be here now. I'll fix that problem. You know, because Lucas is like, oh, you're, I know, because he knows who Shoster is. Not just as soon as the name, you know, Artemis is like, Shoster, we thought you were dead. Lucas knows the story and he wasn't with him last time. But he knows that she has a hatred for Artemis and the boy and he's not going to let that stand. Shoster laughs at his boast. Please, scoffs Shoster. I am not a fool. I would have not risked revealing myself unless I was sure I would succeed. Damn it, curses Michael loudly. There's more. Almost as magic, figures start to appear within the crowd of skeleton. Pale, white faces of men and women in the darkness. And you could see at least six to eight vampires in the crowd surrounding you. Because Shastra can make more. Shastra, her blood is he- will be heavily diluted. Um, for all intents and purposes, she'll be making relatively weak vampires. But relatively weak vampires are still really powerful things to fight. These aren't vampire lords. They're not as bad as Shastra or, or uh, Draven or anything like that. But these things would be affected by the sunlight, all the traditional vampire stuff. Um, but because they're made not by directly, say, Draven or Daedalus, they're like a spawn of a spawn. So they have all the traditional vampire traits. But Shastra being as young as she is and not being a vampire long, they're not super, super powerful. But they're powerful for this group, except for six to eight of them with Shastra and whatever is in that hood next to her. Um, let's see. Um, oh, I did read that part. Shastra laughs and pulls a small, sickle-looking weapon from her belt. The blade begins to glow with an eerie blue light. Bring me the child, she hisses. 
while also saying, they serve me as they served my father. And at that point, the skeletons, the vampires, and Shastra run into combat. So, you can imagine, in this situation, things are not good for our heroes. Six to eight vampires alone would be dangerous. All of the skeletons is bad, and Shastra herself is more powerful than any of these other skeletons. She's got some skills, because she's a direct creation from Daedalus. And whatever she has in her hand, that sickle thing is glowing with a magical power that no one there is confused that that thing has some type of devious magic to it. Um, and everybody begins to fight. So this goes on, and the, the, the vampires hang back a bit at first and let the skeletons charge in and start to weaken people down. And then they start to, because they're fast, right? They start to slide into groups and hurt people or kill people and such as the opportunities allow. Because they're smart... They don't want to die. They'll let the skeletons are recyclable. Hell, everybody they're about to kill, probably turn them into skeletons. So they can replace them. So they're using the skeletons as fodder, again, which aren't overwhelmingly powerful undead, but they still fight with some of the skills of their, of their previous lives, uh, but very slowly. So Serenity itself is doing okay against the skeletons, but then the vampires start to slip in, and they start to see people fall. Um... Artemis starts to have a bit more luck turning some of the skeletons. She has no effect on the vampires. But as they get closer, and her high uh, power, she begins turning them. And a couple times, it looks some of them actually crumble, but they don't explode like she'd expect. And at the same time, as the, these guys are looking, they see whatever that figure in the, in the back is also moving his hand in certain ways. And it draws them to believe that that thing definitely has a male shape. I, I should say that. They don't know if it's a guy or a girl, but there's no, like, boobs. I mean, I hate to say it that way. It's shaped like a dude. Doesn't necessarily mean it. But they can't see face. The thing has gloves on. And for them, it's just almost like a black shadow in the darkness. But whatever it is, is moving and appears to be controlling some stuff. But none of them are in any kind of range to do anything about him. Shastra came charging in, and the other vampires take their, their cue off of her. Um, let's see. Uh, things start to look bad. Uh, several of the Templars fall to vampires, but Lucas and the clerics are able to ward them off somewhat where they have to back out. Um, suddenly, Mercy hears a, a yell, and she looks to her side. She sees that Ulrich's on the ground with a vampire on top of him, trying to literally rip his face off with his talon-like claws. Um, she spins, leaving herself open, and comes across the side of the head of the thing, sensing it sprawling off of him, but then she gets hit several times by the skeletons and injured a decent amount by doing that. She had that choice, but she, she put his life above her own. And when she did that, you know, and he's able to get up, but he sees that she's got some serious blood coming out of her, her face where she was cut, and he's trying to help. He's trying to help block her, but she's not going to let that happen. She's right in there fighting again. And during all this, of course, Artemis doing it, Seraph is crying. I mean, you can understand that. Uh, what happened to Tevin? If you remember, when um, Draven went through that portal, Tevin is the one that took him in. Tevin was the little, what they called one-hit Tevin. <laughs> remember, he's the little guy. He had one healing spell left that he said he think would be strong enough to keep Draven alive long enough to close the portal, but it wouldn't be able to heal him. And then when Draven died, he would be trapped on a planet where he's basically food. And, you know, he's going to smell like food. People are going to sense that of him. 
Yeah. So he he and he had his last spell gone. He's not going to survive. What's the whole point of that? He he sacrificed himself to help Draven sacrifice himself to save merged worlds. Basically, was the concept. But that's what happened to Tevin. Um, but that was again a year and a half ago. They're dead. Um. Uh, let's see. The baby starts crying a lot. Um. So. This fight's going on, and things are looking bad. And then, suddenly, our heroes start to hear laughter. Quiet at first, and then a little bit louder. And looking around, they see Michael laughing. And he's just fighting undead, and he just starts laughing harder and harder. And at that point, Dandy and everybody have different thoughts going in their head. Is is he snapping? Is he going insane because he loves killing undead this much? Is he laughing because he just likes that? Did he snap in his mind? Like, why is he laughing? And Dandy, who gets up close to him, you know, gets a moment to get up to him and gets in front of him and says, Michael, are you okay? Why are you laughing? And he just turns and looks and Menandra is completely murdered. The purple flames just shooting out of his eyes. And he looks and smiles and says, because I now know the big... I, I, I now know the, how big of a mistake she's made. Is there a cure spell that makes you laugh till you die? Um, there's a spell called Tasha's Uncontrollable Hideous Laughter. It's a low-level spell and it can make you laugh till you pass out. Um, it's not necessarily going to make you laugh till you die. There are magical items that have an ability like that. But Tasha's Uncontrollable Laughter, uh, depending on the caster, can do some serious damage. You laugh so much that you pass out, can't breathe, and can actually cause pain. Uh, but I don't believe it will actually bring you to death. I could be wrong on that. I haven't looked at that spell in a very long time. Um, but good call. That, that does exist out there, yes. Good call. I actually was just telling my wife about that spell yesterday. They've just released a 5th edition book about Tasha and all of her spells and magic items and such. Um... And it's the one fifth edition book I think I'm going to get. I'm probably going to pick it up this week with the gift card I got because it's uh, it. A lot of the books that come out fifth edition are designed to let you play in a specific world. I don't need that. I've got my own. I just need to know how the how the the fifth edition works. But having new spells and magical items to add to people to be able to play with, always worth the purchase. What's up, Siege? How's it going? Okay. So Michael's laughing, and Danny says. Are you okay? Why are you laughing? And he just turns and says, because I, or I now know how bad of a mistake she's made. About that time, suddenly a skeleton explodes into a pile of dust and bone fragments. Then another, and then another. Within a few seconds, half the skeletons are destroyed. The vampires have half backed off, surprised and confused look on their faces, not sure what's going on. Shasta's face twists into a rage. What is the meaning of this? Because she doesn't understand. The vampires aren't listening to her. And the figure in the back has stopped moving. And then Michael laughs and says, You have no idea how big of a mistake you've made. And then he turns and looks behind them up on a hill. There's a bit of a hill in the distance. <laughs> Not exactly. <laughs> Not far off, standing on a small hill, stands two figures. The first, his hands raised in the air, is a human male, his skin darkly tanned. His leggings are made of leather, tass are made of leather with tassels uh, running down their legs, are dyed blue. 
He wears only a vest, and in his other hand he holds a staff. His long black hair is worn long, except a small top knot held up by several feathers. On his chest rests a holy medallion, which hangs from his neck. Standing next to him is a tall figure, dressed all in black. His long white hair drapes down over his shoulder, and his skin appears smooth in the moonlight as the moonlight reflects off of his polished, like, polished ivory. His long cape sways slightly in the wind. Get the hell away from my son, says Draven. I gotta take a drink, my throat's dry. I just got a hole up from Turtle. Turtle, you need me to hole up? Does that mean that Tevin is still alive? Again, the gentleman that I said looks like standing next to him is dressed very Native American-like, but dyed blue with a holy cleric, long black hair, feathers in it. Although this is a fully aged, very muscular dude. So, um, we'll see, won't we? <clears throat> Shrastra basically freaks out and commands everything to continue attack and try to kill Artemis and to kill Draven. And she comes charging in herself. Um, more skeletons are, are rising, but the up on the hill, the cleric of healing is using his power to literally turn and bust up a lot of the um, uh, uh, skeletons and such. Turtle says, I feel like some supernatural force must have willed me to ask this earlier. <laughs> I'm here to participate because I haven't seen a thing about D&D. Oh, well, we're happy to have you. We're, we're getting kind of near to the end of this episode, but definitely, I'm very happy to have you here. It's, it's my favorite thing I get to do. And this was a, uh, this was a big surprise to the characters because this, while it seems relatively back-to-back -to, -back to us, this moment took place about four months, three to four months in our real lives after Draven died. Actually, probably closer to six months because we played out the uh, um, part of Darsh and them in the uh, gladiatory stuff for like two months and all of that stuff and then getting back and the, then uh, the one girl was gone for a couple months and we did all prep stuff. So this was a bigger spot of time for them than it seems for us. So it does kind of seem like I'm bringing him back quick. Once you know, in the time of when it was happening, it was a much larger time. And the young lady who played Artemis was always consistently over that six months pretty pissed at me that he was dead. She she liked to bring that up regularly. Although I knew you know, what was going to happen. So everybody starts attacking. Draven now has run in and the vampires are going at Draven. And they're coming in with vampire speed. But Draven is not a regular vampire. He's more powerful than a vampire lord. And as they come in with their quick, he's just grabbing them by necks and just snapping. And then he starts pulling out his swords and he's flying at them as well. The figure up on the hill is still turning and exploding skeletons while Serenity's fighting and Michael's laughing. Because, um, you know, he is a little bit... Sometimes in the undead stuff, Michael gets a little kooky. Suddenly, Shastra appears before Artius, Artemis. She'd fought her way through. Lucas jumps in fright in front of him, attempting to defend, swinging with his sword, but she literally just grabs the sword, grabs him by his chest plate, and just throws him. Shastra is strong. And tosses him up and over people. I'm pretty sure I'm eligible to stream on YouTube. Hey, congrats! Awesome siege. I will give you that follow. I did get your message. I will do that. I just had not a chance to do it yet today. I got you there. Promise. Um, 
Shastra then um, starts to raise their weapon to come at Artemis, who's trying to cast a spell, but jumping in between them is Michael. And Michael with Menandra starts defending, and they're going back and forth. Now, both of them have something powerful, and both of them are fast. She has vampire speed, but he's got Menandra reflexes, so a lot of times, Menandra senses what an undead is beginning to do, just through its basic movements, before Michael could even see that. As such, it sometimes looks like he's, like, psychic, but that's not the case. It's that as soon as a vampire starts to move, they can't read the thoughts. Menandra can't read Undead's thoughts, because that would be silly. But it can read Michael's, and it can see exactly what Undead are doing like a radar. And it's like, he's, he's going to swing on the left. So that block comes up before the attack comes. Um, the more powerful the Undead, the less she's able to see that. So she's helping in this situation, but they're kind of at a stalemate. Uh, imagine having the ability to snap necks in one hand. Yeah, I mean, it's again, with that strength, he can literally just crush. I mean, he can pick up rocks and crush them like they're nothing. I mean, he's, he's just that strong. A vampire should be. I mean, technically, he's stronger than a regular vampire. And then all of this battle starts going on, um, and Shastra and Michael um, are fighting each other. Uh, Artemis is trying to shield the baby at this point. She wants to help Lucas, but she doesn't know where he is. He was thrown aside, and another Templar has basically stood in front of where Lucas was, and two more switched. She's actually kind of pinned in between them. She can barely see what's going on, but they've got their shields up, and they're, she can just hear them getting wailed upon. Like, they're just taking a beating. They're not even trying to fight. They're just trying to use their bodies to block hers. And she can hear bone and metal hitting against their shields and their armor as the skeletons and creatures are attacking. Uh, but in her position, all she can do is shield the baby. As the fights go on and more things, that figure in the back just stands there and doesn't move. It no longer looks like it's controlling the dead. It's kind of like waiting to see what happens. Arms folded in, kind of in its robes, so you can't see the hand. Get off of my computer, kitty. Um, so he's just sitting there, right? And he's, whatever, and just watching. But as more and more are falling, Serenity starts to win, although there's a lot of injured and some dead on the ground. Ulrich and the knights are doing a, a, a big lion's share of the work and calling up formation and, and rallying the troops and, and Mercy and such. And Mercy with her Morningstar is almost a one-hit crush on a skeleton, but she's trying to go after the vampires in many situations because she's one of the best prepared to do that. Um, but they're, again, diving in and this fight's going on. So you can imagine while this is happening, imagine skeletons moving at regular speed. And then there's warriors and, and clerics all fighting at regular speed against them. So imagine that from above, right? 100 skeletons are in there, 50 guards, 40 guards, and they're fighting. And the guards are in better armor and such, but numbers are on the side of the undead. So this battle's going on, and it's all around them. So it's kind of like a donut in the middle is where Artemis and the other clerics are being protected. And all this is going on. And while that's happening, there are vampire figures, draven vampires, that are just zipping through the crowd causing havoc and killing each other. Like, the vampires are mostly trying to fight him, but are also trying to do what Shastra says and get to Artemis and kill the baby, or bring her the baby, is what she said, bring me the child, not kill the child. I want to stress that. And so these forces, which can move so quick most people can't see them, are just zipping within the crowds, and people are trying to fight them in the middle of this other stuff, and then a vampire will show up and be killing someone, and then suddenly Draven will be there and just rip its freaking head and spine out of its back, or like literally, or sword, just cleaving it clear in half, because he's just pissed at this point, with skeletons popping off from whoever's up on the hill. 
And on the outskirts, as all this is happening, two figures are slowly getting pulled a little away from the group. And that's Michael and Shastra, who are almost in an equal fight, her coming fast with this mini sickle scythe thing. It looks like a little miniature Grim Reaper scythe. And she's coming at him with it, and he's, she's attacking, and he's doing mostly defending, but he's doing a good job of it. But he's still getting a hit in once in a while, and she's getting a hit, and there's some blood on him. And she looks furious, and he's got a smile. I mean, this is exactly the type of thing he lives for. This is killing not just an undead, but killing the source of an undead. In his eyes, this is the greatest thing he can do to slightly make up for the death and damage he did when he was under control of the death gem. All the lives that were lost because he fell victim to that. Well, again, he holds himself responsible, whether he is or not. I'll leave that for you to decide. But... Killing undead helps. Killing powerful undead that can create other is the, what he feels his goal. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to find the powerful undead. And sometimes in those moments, we'll get reckless. Because in that moment, that's, that's all he can think of is, I finally get to kill a source. And he's just going at it. They're still in surrounded by everybody else, but they're just a little bit away from everybody. And finally, Shastra jumps in the air and comes down hard with, the, with this toy, or the the toy, the weapon, <laughs> with the weapon. And at the same time, Michael swings up with Menandra to try to, and they're trying to hit each other. You know, in that classic, both warriors are trying to hit each other kind of thing, you know, it's kind of, and everybody else, everybody else, it's like slow motion, they see it in the corner of their eyes, and everything's slow, and everybody's fighting their thing, and Draven's standing there with a, with a vampire in each hand. <laughs> Maybe his swords fell to the ground, and now he's just using claws, you can just see blood running down his arms as he's crushing them. Maybe got one in the face, and he's just crushing a skull and holding the other one by the neck, and they're clawing, and he just doesn't give a damn. And all this is going on in slow motion, and you see that big hit coming. And then suddenly there's an explosion and everyone is thrown from their feet. Uh, oof, only nine people. That's okay. This, this is the stream that has the least amount of watchers and I am totally fine with that. Um, the people that come uh, really enjoy it. And these, I will say this gets a lot of watching after the fact. They're, 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 usually the views will double over the first five days after the after this is streamed. A lot of people can't make it to this one with it being a Sunday night and probably a school night and a work night. So a lot of people will start and then come back or watch later. Again, I'm okay with it. I'm just happy that there's some people who want to hear my story. This is definitely, I mean, the more people the merrier, but I, I'm just happy you guys are enjoying it. <laughs> and Steve says, uh, dude, you make this so entertaining. I don't like reading or listening to it either, but I could listen to this. Excellent. Well, that's, that is high praise and I appreciate that. Thank you. But again, there's an explosion and everyone is thrown from their feet. Artemis can feel herself flying through the air. Instinctively, she wraps herself around Seraph, preparing for the ground's impact. Right? Like, everybody's... And just instinctively, she starts to try to wrap up so when they hit the ground, she can protect Seraph from, from the blow. As she can feel the ground rushing in. She doesn't feel it, but you know, you know it's coming. But it never comes. Instead, she feels a pair of strong arms scoop her out of the air, and she can feel long hair swaying against her face. Artemis, or not Artemis, Mercy, also thrown, feels herself hitting other people and everybody crumbling onto the ground, and her ears are ringing, but she hears things falling and crumbling, and 
she's looking down and she had jumped on top of Ulrich, who was still injured. And pieces of bone and stuff are falling down and he's just looking up like, oh, what the hell was that? And her ears are ringing and his ears are ringing and they can't hear real well. It's just a big explosion, big bomb. One moment here. Um, Okay, here we go. Uh, People are starting to climb up and look and as you look around, there are no more skeletons. Everything's blown to dust. Um, What couple vampires that are still alive, you see them zipping off into the darkness, fleeing. Shastra rises, her clothes ripped and showing signs of injury. She's got, like, soot all over her face and her clothes are ripped up and shredded and there's blood coming from her. Uh, Let me see here. This is not over, screams Shasta as she runs to the side of the shadowy figure, still standing in the place where he was before. I shall return again someday, son of Bloodbane. Your son and I shall meet again. The dark figure speaks a few muffled words and motions with his hands, and then both he and Shastra fade into shadows. Every, all the bad stuff's gone, mostly, at this point. There's a lot of hurt people. There's definitely dead. Uh, none of the main characters have died, of course. None of the knights, although Ulrich has the most amount of serious injuries. Um, you know, there's that kind of thing. Um, so there's that. Um, as people are trying to gather themselves up, Draven sets Artemis down, who's just looking at him, and then she starts crying and starts hugging, and he's just holding her, and then looking down, here's his kid. Right? First meetings for that. Here's his kid. Shocking. So, there's that. Um, it's funny. But, you know, and there's all that stuff going on. Uh, let's see here. Is Siege a member? I can't remember. So I went and played the DD. That's right. We'll chat about it later. Um, so, they, so, there's that going on. Now, the other figure from up on the hill is coming down as well. And immediately jumps in and comes up to Artemis and Draven and is immediately recognized as Tevin, but not. Tevin was just like an 11 or 12-year-old boy. Oh, yes, I'm going to tell you that here when we finish up for the day. I promise I will. Thank you for reminding me, though. But, yes, I'm going to tell you at the end of the day. And it's just a little thing. It's a silly thing that I toss in once in a while, stuff like this, that most people don't pick up. But my friends were a little bit better at it who I played with because they got the, they knew these things a little more. But uh, I'll tell you here in the end. Um, so, Tevin now appears to be in his early 20s. He's at least 10 to 15 years older than he was when they last saw him. Really, really muscular. Long block hair. To be honest, um, I designed him after... And I don't have the picture for it. I apologize. Um, Taylor Lautner, I believe is the name. The guy who was the werewolf in the Twilight thing. Uh, that's kind of who he was designed after. With long hair um, and all of that kind of stuff. Right? So he is, he's dressed up that. And, and what he's wearing is a vest... And leggings that are in the tribal style, but they're dyed blue instead of wearing blue robes, which, if you remember, he always struggled with and never felt comfortable in the robes. Now he has his people's type of clothing. Uh, he's got the feathers in his hair that you see kind of with the shaman and such. And uh, he's got all that stuff going on, right? And he has no beard. He doesn't grow facial hair. 
He just doesn't. <laughs> but, you know, and he's definitely older, and he's just, he's cut, too. He's incredibly muscular and such. Um, if you need to get to our Discord siege, just go to my website, onlydraven.com. There's a button right at the top of the website you can click on that'll take you right in. It just says click here to uh, join the Draven's Dragons or the uh, Only Draven Gaming Discord. It's a link that'll take you right inside if you're looking for that. So, again, many have been injured, some are hurt. Lucas is in rough shape, but Tevin is. I mean, immediately Artemis can see Tevin has power. Maybe not quite to the level of her, but not far off. He's a little bit way more powerful than she left off. That was a year and a half ago. He looks like he's 10 to 15 years older and way more powerful. Um, everybody's kind of checking on everybody and seeing if they're okay and then what's going on and everybody's getting up and they're okay and they're healing and then they hear Dandy cry out and she's a distance away over top of Michael. Even with everything that's going on, Artemis Instinct, she goes running over there, and of course Draven, everybody comes running as well, and everybody looks down, and Michael's laying on the ground. Um, let me see. He's laying on the ground, but his eyes are completely open. He's just laying there with his eyes open, kind of crumpled, and she's rolled him back on his back. His hair is still all white like it normally is when he's with Menandra, but there's no purple fire in his eyes anymore. He's just laying there like he's frozen. I mean, you can move him around. He's not physically frozen, but he's laying like that. They immediately start checking him, and they can't find any serious wounds. There's no deep cuts. He's got some lacerations and such. And he's sooty, like Shaster was, where sometimes the explosion hit him. Um, but he's, there's no major injuries, and Artemis and Tevin both get down and try to start healing him, but it has no effect. And while that's going on, Ulrich, just a few feet away, calls out, and the, the companions step over there, and sitting at his feet is that scythe weapon shattered into several pieces, and next to it is Menandra, broken in half. They try every spell, healing spell they've got to no effect. He's completely comatose. They're able to close his eyes. You know, the thing. But he's breathing. You know, he's not dead, but he's completely like a zombie kind of thing. He won't stand up or anything. He's you know, not that. Since they're unable to heal him or anything of that nature, the only thing they can think of is we've got to get him back to Serenity. Plus, we don't know if they're going to attack again. Lucas, who's been healed up enough now that he can walk okay, immediately starts the Templars and getting all the other Templars up and the clerics, because he's commanding them at this point. And Ulrich is doing the same with them. It's like, we're up and going right now. It's still the middle of the night. We don't care. We're traveling till we get there. And they start gathering up the people they could. They have to end up having to leave some of the horses behind, because there's less people now alive to do it. They try to they gather up their dead the best they can, put them in a couple of the wagons they have. And they do their best to just power drive this last day um, to Serenity. Now, fortunately, several hours later, they run into a regular patrol on the roads, as they should, who immediately made aware of what's going on. Half of them join them, and the other half go to where it was to try to make sure any other dead are alive, any undead are not alive. And, you know, 
cleanup kind of thing. You make sure that nobody's left behind in proper respects. And as they're traveling in, and they send a runner to Serenity as well. One of them takes off ahead, which they'd already sent someone. I would assume that Lucas or somebody sent somebody ahead, um, which is probably how the patrol found them so quickly. And that happens and it continues on. But they go racing back to Serenity because they don't know what's wrong with Michael and they don't know how to fix him. And that's where we're going to stop for today. Um, it's 10.30. Perfectly worked out. Next week is Merged Worlds again on Sunday. And we're going to begin by hearing Draven and Tevin's story and what happened to them after they went through the portal. It doesn't take real long, but we're going to start with that, telling what's been going on with them. Catch Because they're going to tell their story to people, right? That's, that's what we're going to do. And then, they're, and then at that point, we, after that's told, we'll then begin trying to find out what's wrong with Michael and how to fix him. But um, I'm, the last quest we did, uh, especially the part with Artemis and Draven, the part where they were on the way to fight Daedalus, was one of, the best, one of my favorite parts that I've ever written. Uh, overall, I was very, very happy with that. Um, and I was, um, but this entire adventure, this chapter we're stepping into, I think is the best chapter that I ever put together um, as a whole. Like I, I just feel everything worked out so well together. And some of it, you know, grain of salt, this was years ago, and some things I would have done differently now. But overall, um, I think that the story of this next chapter is the best overall story arc that I've put together. So I'm, I'm excited to share that with you guys. Uh, so next week we'll start with Draven and Tevin, older Tevin, uh, showing what's going on there. I'll have a mini figure for Tevin to show off uh, here uh, next week as well. I didn't, I, I don't, to be honest, I was waiting on him because I was afraid I'd accidentally post him before he came back. <laughs> I didn't want to give that away. Um, so I didn't make one for him yet, but now, now I can. And there's actually a lot of really cool gear designed that are going to make him, I think, look exactly like I was hoping for. Um, but yes, Draven is back. And again, I know it, for us here, it seems a lot more sudden. Like he came back quickly. Yeah, he wasn't gone that long. Um, but in the, the, the actual playing of the adventure, it was, like I said, close to half a year before he came back. So um, I was concerned that in this, the story part, that would seem a little cheesy. Like, oh man, he just died. He's back already. You, you didn't have time to miss him. Uh, I'm not a fan of that. I'm not a fan of bringing people back from the dead a lot. That's one of the main reasons I don't watch a lot of anime. <laughs> it's because nobody stays dead. Um, I hate that because personally, if you... If, if everybody who dies always comes back alive, you no longer have to fear for their life anymore. That fear of this character I love could die in this adventure. And, and if he does, I'll be crushed and torn. But then if he brings him back three days later, it's not that big of a deal. You know, so it, it, I feel it has more impact if you don't. And I'll be honest, I don't keep bringing people back. You know, Michael showed back up again because he wasn't dead. But I didn't bring back Willow or Shadow. They, they were dead. Um... But it's one of those things where I've, uh, I do my very best to not do that. Because it's a trope that I dislike. I am a victim of a very classic trope where people's families end up being involved with everything. I call it the Star Wars uh, downside. The Star Wars downside is that there's millions of stars and planets and people. 
and it's the same 10 motherfuckers who do everything. <laughs> it's, it's always them and then their kids. And I fall victim to that, obviously, in some of this. Um, but I try not to do it more than I have to. But, uh, you know, it's just kind of how life works sometimes. Um, but, yeah, I had a really good time telling this one. Next week, uh, I'm excited because next time we'll basically be introducing what the main quest and meat of this chapter is going to be um, after hearing some cool Draven and Tevin background story. Which we assume he explained on the travel back, you know, parts of it, and then told the rest when they get back. Um, and then we'll move into the, the here's what we have to do for the next lots of me telling story. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, so, again, thank you all so much for coming by and letting me tell my tale. Uh, I appreciate this, and the support from this is overwhelmingly appreciated. Uh, at least, at least every week, I see at least one or new people, one or two people follow it on Spotify. Um, the overall views of Merge World is definitely higher than the earlier episodes were, uh, so it's it's getting out there. I'm just doing my best to try to spread the word. Again, this is a labor of love. It's not meant to make me a big D and D streamer. I just want to share my story with as many people as I can. So everybody who helps with that, I, I definitely appreciate you guys coming by and listening and sharing tweets and. All that kind of stuff. I need to be better about announcing when Merged Worlds is happening. Um, but I'm really having fun with the Merged Worlds Instagram account. That account right now, every day I post another miniature that I've designed that talks about a character or NPC. Um, and as we tell the story, that gives me the ability to put even more of them out there. Uh, so I'm really excited about that. If you have an Instagram, uh, definitely check out Merged Worlds. Uh, which that channel, if you like that kind of thing, and you'll learn little snippets about characters and maybe some stuff that I haven't even really told here, but their history, their background, or some of their motivations. Um, more and more of that stuff will start coming on Instagram as well, just to have that all under one house. But it's a good time. We meant two and a half hours. Next week, I have a feeling we might run a little long, so that's why I'm going a little early today. Um, but I will be back tomorrow night at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for more Sky Factory 4. I'm very excited about that. Um, if any of you are ODG members and you have not yet voted in the poll for what the next um, mod pack we're going to play on the member server is, you can find that on the um, server thread in the Discord specifically. That is um, there. Uh, and please go in and vote. We'd love to get your uh, opinion on that. I'm going to let it run till probably Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday night, I stream from midnight or so from 9.30 to midnight. I will probably call it at the end of that stream. So I've got one last chance on there as well to let everybody know to, to do that. But uh, thank you all very much for coming. Love you bunches. I appreciate that. Special thank you as always to my members. Again, you guys supporting and coming back month after month uh, definitely helps this channel grow and help make this a full-time gig. Also very much thank you to those who've been donating as well. Uh, that blowing me away <laughs> so i definitely appreciate that we hit our first goal uh so it looks like potentially the uh eh, cat here the next uh donation goal uh will probably pop up this week uh and i think we're going to be looking at a um pop probably a 3d printer is what a lot of people said they like that idea uh we're going to call it wednesday night because i said thursday would be the day that i'm going to switch it over so, because I've got I've got all of Thursday off, and I'm going to stream Thursday night for New Year's. Uh, but Thursday, I can go ahead and get everything switched over. That'll be the first day I really have the time to do it. So I figured I'll leave the poll open till then, anyways. I won't have time to to convert it until Thursday. So Wednesday night, I'll shut it down after the uh, stream 
I'll get off after the stream and then kill it when the stream is over. Um, and then we'll have our winner. Uh, and if it's stone block, that's cool. Because again, we'll play it for a while. And when that comes, we'll vote on another one that down the road. And when that happens, odds are, unless something new jumps in, Rustic Waters will probably, <laughs> probably be the next one. So we've always got time. I will be saving the Volcano Block world before I shut it down. And I'll make it available to download for anybody who would like to have it. Okay? Um, extra special thank you again for my moderators. I love you guys, and I appreciate all the hard work that you do in keeping up with this. So thank you so very much for all of that effort. I really do appreciate it. But I'm going to call that a day because i got three cats jumping around wanting some treats. Uh, and thank you again for letting me share my Merged World story with you. I look very much forward to doing so again next week. But you guys have yourselves a wonderful day, and hopefully we'll see some of you tomorrow.